I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome back to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. It's NFC East time, Sam. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. NFC East time. We've hit the entire AFC, all four divisions. Check out their review wherever you're listening to this podcast. The people are they're loving it all month. They go back. It's evergreen. It's what we call evergreen. Mm-hmm. So people are going back, listening to all of the divisions. We get, we're going to get into detail on every single team. So today it's all about the NFC East, Sam a division that was kind of the laughing stock of the league last year, but I don't know if it's warranted. Hmm. I think just some quirky stuff happened, right? Yeah, I mean, it was the, the Eagles and the Cowboys were still good last year, pretty, you know, reasonably good. And the Cowboys, for years, have been dealing with this like underachieving label, so we expect them to be even better this season. So, yeah, I think they're good. The uh, you notice yeah. we uh, we got your cough button back? Yes. This is all upgraded. Now, now we have a cough button, and we have this thing, which is. Can we explain why we have the shock absorber? Uh, we have the shock absorber because get fired? possibly uh, the boss Chris Collinsworth is a let's he's a table banger right so if he's in a meeting or <laughs> or or a podcast he likes to hammer the table with his hands it's just like a it's a it's a reflex thank you for at least explaining what's sure. happening here. Yeah, well, when they chop that up into a social clip and it's just he's a table banger, that's how I get fired. Yes. Well, you know, the, the quote taken out of context, that's how it gets done. Yeah. NBC's um, calling. A lot, a lot of stuff's happening here. So he was on the, the forecast with Eric and George, and every time he hammered the table with his hands, it was like somebody was dropping a, a grand piano down a flight of stairs. So we have to get the shock absorber for the microphone, which has been certified by Tyler as it works, but it might not be crisp proof. Yeah, we'll have to find so out. So for you and me, it should be good. Next time Chris is a guest on the podcast, we will test it out. Yeah. Uh, before we dive into the NFC East, it's a big week. Table banger. It's a big week at PFF. <laughs> you are the best at naming stuff in PFF. Well, it's better than you, anyway. Uh, two things are happening this week. College football subscription model yes. is finally out there. And then the preseason. I think it's called a model. I mean, I mean it's a model. It's like, that's, I'm using the business term. The subscription. Unfortunately, the yeah. subscription's out. Um, college football subscription and magazine. Um, and the preseason 2021 NFL draft guide. It's all happening. Uh, go to pff.com for more information. The college football subscription people have been asking for basically since we started doing this in 2014. When are the grades going to be available? When is this stuff going to be available? It's all there. F- college football grades and premium stats, and you actually get 25% off with the promo code CFB25. That's CFB25. And you get 25% off, and you can just, you know, start up your college football subscription. Um, I figured we'd do this at some point, but here we are, about six years after starting the college grades and decided this is the time to do it. There's a college football magazine, which is fantastic, the grades pages. 
premium stats. If you guys have the elite package for the NFL, NCAA premium stats is identical. And you also get NCAA green line. And this entire promo ends on my son's birthday next Monday, the 24th. Well, that'll make it easy for everybody. To remember. Everybody remember that. August 24th, if you guys want to send cards to uh, Harry, he'll be five. Hmm. So, the, uh, the design of the, the preview magazines are pretty incredible. Like, it's amazing what can happen when you actually have people doing this full-time gig as opposed to between data games that they're grinding. You know, yeah, Back absolutely. in the day when we were doing our preview magazines. But these look absolutely spectacular. The guys um, with the design work, Andrew Russ- Russell, I know, is a big part of this. Um, they look amazing. Like, they're worth – they're as good as anything out there. They're better than anything out there because they got better data. So go check it out, pff.com. We'll talk more about the preseason draft guide at some point if I remember. But that's also out, and that's pretty awesome as well. So let's get into the NFC East, starting with the Dallas Cowboys, Sam. And they are a team that all of our numbers essentially suggest the offense is better than the defense. Therefore, we feel a little bit better projecting them forward. Plus, when you go back and look at last season, they are the team that probably outperformed their actual record. And so you could say, you know what? They probably were a 10 or an 11 win team as far as how well they played on the field. If they play that well this year, we should expect them to at least compete for the division in the NFC East. Yeah, I think that's the story for Dallas is that this is a team for years that's underachieved. And the blame for that has finally, I don't, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's accurate or otherwise, but eventually the blame for that has been placed at the door of Jason Garrett and he's lost his job. And now there's a new coaching staff in there, Mike McCarthy. Um, But the idea being that the coaching staff has been the cap for how good this team has been. The talent has been better than they've shown for a number of seasons now. So logically the conclusion to that is, well, now this season by doing nothing else, they will get significantly better just because of that change. Um, And it isn't like they did nothing else because, oh, by the way, in the first round, they got C.D. Lamb, who most people thought was going to go in the top 10 somewhere. Um, so, I, I mean, this – I think the offense has a chance to be really, really good. And, it, it, you know, as an aside, the Dak Prescott negotiations ended up in stalemate. He's, you know, on the franchise tag. But he could have a career year in this offense because we've seen that Dak Prescott goes essentially as his supporting cast goes, and this might be the best supporting cast he's ever had. Yeah, I mean, I think – from a, we'll talk about Dak in a minute. I, I am fascinated by this story that is Mike McCarthy coming in as the new head coach and essentially saying, as, as a former offensive-minded coach and play caller, Mike McCarthy said, I need to learn the playbook. That is, that is rare for coaches to come in and say, I'm not bringing my stuff. I have to learn what's already there because I trust Kellen Moore. I trust Dak Prescott coming off of his most productive season and the supporting cast pretty much coming back. Did they settle on that? Because I, 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 think I heard so. that they were changing the language to McCarthy's, but then he was saying that he was the guy that needed to do the most adjustment. So I, I don't know if there's... Maybe it's that part of the quote that I was right, relying I think, on the most. I think, they, I think they've changed terminology that, to but, McCarthy's terminology. That doesn't, like, that's just a, that's a language. Though. Yes, it's, but it's, that's significant. I mean, changing the language of your... I, it, my point is he's not, impl- he's not necessarily implementing his style. Like Kellen Moore's right. calling plays. But you made it sound like now. he was basically just Sorry. leaving the whole thing. to. So I think they Thank have for correcting me structurally that. changed the system. But you're right, right. that he is, he's leaving a lot into the hands of Kellen Moore. Right. And, and Kellen Moore was ranked as one of our highest play callers last year. Again, Dak, from a production standpoint, had his best season. Um, wasn't 
his best graded season, but it was still one of his better ones. And Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and now you add CeeDee Lamb. I will say I'm back and forth on this because I keep saying, reminding myself that Randall Cobb had over 800 yards as the slot mm. receiver last year. So, like, CeeDee Lamb, if he's the number three or maybe he just overtakes Michael Gallup as the number two, that's possible with CeeDee Lamb's talent. Can CeeDee Lamb, but say as the number three, though, can he get over 800 yards? Not that you need to, but will he produce as well as Randall Cobb? I don't know if there's necessarily an upgrade offensively, but they should at least be as good as they were last year, right? The, the Kellen Moore thing, I think, is exciting because – I think he is one of the better young minds in the NFL in terms of offensive scheme and all this kind of stuff. He started the season sort of on fire with this hyper extremes of all the things that the data says you should be doing more of, right? right. Motion, bunches, um, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then it cooled off as the season went on. Everyone's like, well, maybe. And but, against better teams right. as well. And that's a big part of it. But I love the point that the boss Chris Collinsworth made on the forecast, which was he showed – growth over the season I, I forget the game he was referencing but there was one game where the, schematically more just got beat right like he rolled into the game they had the perfect rams? game plan for it could have been because they got demoralized uh, no they demoralized the rams i'm sorry that's no, the other way around. and then so whatever it was the the game he was just out coached right yep. they had the answer to whatever it is he wanted to do but then from that point on he understood how to defeat that right he went away figured right. out how he got beat and and then the next time a team turned up with that blueprint he was able to defeat it. That level of growth in season, not just, you know, one year to the next, but like week to week seeing, oh, hell, this was – they had the answer to what I want to do. They stopped me, and now I've figured out 2.0. Right. Like it's, the fact that he had that level of growth within the season I think is huge. And, and that's what I think we should be looking at from Kellen Moore. It's almost like, you know, RG3 has that great rookie season. Well, how are you, what happens when the league adjusts to you? What happens in year two? I think this is like the rookie quarterback – it's the Sean McVay thing. The McVay thing. I mean, the, the ability to evolve and adjust. So, like, good start by Kellen Moore. Showed some growth last year, as you said. Let's see it again going forward. Um, a big loss on the Dallas offensive line is Travis Frederick mm-hmm. retiring. He wasn't himself last year. But we're talking about Frederick and Zach Martin and Tyron Smith. Those three guys. I mean, the pinnacle of their respective positions. Yeah. And you're losing Frederick now, and you have to replace him with Joe Looney or fourth round pick Tyler Biotish. Yeah, it's interesting because so you say you know obviously losing Travis Frederick is huge. The guy is one of the best, arguably the best center of his generation. Was on an incredible run before he got the um, illness that that derailed him. But that mean because of that illness, he missed the whole season and then came back and was not himself, and therefore decided, look, I can't play like the All Pro that I was, so I'm walking away. But that means that he, they haven't had that guy for three years now. Like 2017 was the last time real Travis Frederick was playing for the Dallas Cowboys. So what they've lost is you know, an imitation version that was bad enough that the player himself is walking away from the game. And, and I'm not saying he was bad. He wasn't. He was you know, better than average. But the point is the guy that they actually have to replace is not nearly as hard to replace as the all-pro that we think of him as because they haven't had that guy for a couple of seasons now. So the idea that a guy like Joe Looney or Tyler Biadish can come in and replace 2019 Travis Frederick, I think is very achievable. Yeah, and then I think if you look at the rest of the offensive line, Lyle Collins at right tackle took a huge step forward last year, by far his career season. And I think our old friend Connor Williams, he's heading into year three at left guard. He's been just okay, but – when offensive linemen tend to show improvement, it is year three. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Connor Williams take a step forward. Tyron Smith hasn't really been the same guy that he was 
four or five years ago, but he's still again, you know, among the league's best. So I think we're looking at the Dallas offensive line as top five once again. They also have Cam Irving is going to be the player that hangs on to a roster for like 15 years on yes. the basis that he's versatile, which in and he's versatile in the way that people use it incorrectly in terms of I can do a lot of things badly. Yeah, I can do a lot of them though. Like I, I can I can man four different roster spots for you to the level where you don't want me on the field, but I can four four of them. That, that that's that's worth some coins. Played some football. Hand it over. He's the guy that you know you say a lot of a lot of starting experience. Yeah, yeah. So and, and played some football and a lot of different positions. Like I can get on the field for you at, at all five offensive line spots. Every single one of them will be a liability, but I can man them all. Um, he's, I mean, so he's on Dallas now, but he's, that dude is going to cling onto a roster for like a decade based off nothing. So the line's going to be good, mm. despite Cam. Not Irving. because of Cam. The, uh, the receivers, really quick. We've seen Amari Cooper. I think I always go back to this whole, the quarterback gets elevated by a supporting cast and all that stuff. Amari Cooper, we've seen, as I mentioned on the other podcast, and we've seen him elevate Derek Carr. We've seen him elevate Dak Prescott. This offense has been night and day yes. more productive since Amari Cooper has showed up. Can you square that with the criticism that goes towards Amari Cooper sometimes? Um, <laughs> I mean, Rex Ryan went off at the deep end on it. But in terms of... He called I mean, him a he, diva or what do you... No, he called him... What did he call him? A bum? Or he called him something pretty personal. Prima donna. Uh, but so he's clearly not – I mean, he's not Julio Jones, right? He's not an elite, elite receiver. He's not in that very top category of the best in the NFL. And, you know, people have pointed out there are some games where he just doesn't show up and he does disappear a little bit. But clearly, as you said, he makes a night and day difference – to the offense when he's in out there and not just one offense like multiple different offenses multiple different quarterbacks of whom they're quarterbacks that I think have shown they get elevated by their supporting cast like he's not elevating elite quarterbacks he's elevating average to above average quarterbacks to being something better how does he have that big an impact on an offense and yet still somehow remain a little bit below the elite receivers in the NFL I I think because so, you know, if there is something where, hey, you know what, when you do run into Stephon Gilmore, it's not going to be great. Or when you do run into a great corner, it's not going to be great. But the fact that Michael Gallup, who we think is really good, and, for, you know, I think, I think when you have a Michael Gallup type of receiver, he's a pretty good route runner, he's got pretty good ball skills, he's going to catch the ball, like he does all these things pretty well. You do need a number one to yeah. allow Michael Gallup be the number two. Yeah. So I think that's where we would put Amari's value. When you look at just EPA per play, since he showed up, uh, on about 900 plays, it's like 100-something EPA. And then on the previous 400, it's about two. I mean, so just by perspective, it's, it's nuts. It, it's it goes ludicrous. from below average passing offense to like top five right. passing offense. Um, so even though, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's a lot. Is it the Kirk Cousins factor? Like, Kirk Cousins is good all the time, and there's value in being Kirk Cousins and beating bad offenses key and this moments. and that. But at some point in key moments, you're not. Th- but it's still more good than bad. Oh, of course. Right? And it's still, when you look at Dak last season, I mean, he went from being you know, yeah, ranking yeah. in the 20s to ranking top 10 and being the second most valuable quarterback by our numbers. It's just weird to me because I can't see a reason for it, for why he isn't. I don't want to say better than he is, but why he isn't uh, at a Julio Jones level, right? Because he is a great athlete. He's a great route runner. He's physical and big and fast enough. He's got all of the things. 
It's just that sometimes it doesn't seem to show up. I think, he, it, lacks the, I think he lacks the Julio physicality. Obviously. I mean, he's not Julio, but nobody's yeah. Julio, right? right? Julio's like Julio's the closest thing to Randy Moss that the league has in terms of I'm bigger, faster, stronger, and right. jump higher than you, and there's no way that you can match up with that. But he's the only guy that has that, right? Everyone else is missing something. But in terms of like, like he's a plus athlete in all of those areas. He's not yeah. like, you know, he's not. So DeAndre Hopkins doesn't have a couple of those, right? He's not as fast. He's like, you're faster than he is. Cooper is probably better than you at most of those areas in terms if you're like your average defensive back, even your average number one corner. He's probably better at most of those areas. Did you, but quick aside. Did you see the weird video that they had of him and Michael Gallup doing a catching drill? No. Jug's machine over there, right, yeah. firing him a ball. You know the way you see every now and again they, they practice one-hand like the grabs? one-handed backs, yeah. So they were doing combined um, cooperative one-hand catches, right? So if you and I are the receivers and the ball's coming in like this, they would both grab it like oh, they're this. they're both catching And it? they're both catching like either half of it. And then so like after they caught it, they would like try and wrestle grip strength, see who could – pull it away from each other but it's good drill. I, they did it's cool but they fired like uh, the video is like maybe 10 passes long they did it in one hand then the other hand they didn't drop any of them i'm amazed that the two people trying to catch the same pass one-handed can coordinate to the point where they can that's good not, catching. i would have thought that just two guys going for a ball would lead one to get there first and just you know i mean the timing you're trying would be to off. catch half the ball right yeah, that's a, that's a so it, good drill. I it like was kind of crazy that they didn't drop it. It was also – it shows – C.D. Lamb ready for that? Or does he, does he pair with, like, Devin Smith or Cedric Wilson? I, I don't know. But it also <laughs> reinforced how insanely sticky those NFL receiving gloves are. Like, oh, you're always going to give credit <laughs> for the gloves. I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> if I had those gloves in the IAFL. Like, those things stick, and the thing is not coming out of those, those gloves. Anyway. I mean, whatever about me, but like the, you know, the boss, the boss isn't happy. Oh no, about Chris those isn't things. happy about yeah. that. That guy had to catch. Chris had no gloves. Right, right? that he guy had right. to catch, and it was just your hands. And right, playing in like fifty-nine yeah. below weather, like the eighty-two AFC Championship. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I mean, Dallas should be fantastic from a receiving standpoint. CD Lamb adds the guy that could play on the outside. I think they'll use him in the slot, and they'll use him to create yards after the catch. Lamb's skill set. I, I just said he had. Remember we watched him on film like he doesn't feel fast, but he's running away from people. Yeah. He doesn't feel slippery, but he's breaking tackles. Um, I, th- I just think he's got a good feel for where defenders are. Therefore, like he knows leverage. He knows, hey, you're up here. I'm going to spin this way. We saw that against Baylor. He just knows how to create yards after the catch. Um, so there's a lot of value that I think he's going to add to the offense. He's, starting as the number three, but I could see him maybe stealing a lot of targets from Gallup. Absolutely. He's a great test case of this thing of, you know, I, why is this working? Right. And with and a lot of times you watch in college and you say this this shouldn't be working the way it is. Right. And you automatically default to, well, it won't work at the NFL level where the athletes are bigger, faster, stronger and better. But a lot of the times it does. So I fell into this trap watching Antonio Brown, you know, back in where is he? Central Michigan. And you're watching him. You're like Mm -hmm. this. There's no way this will function at the NFL level. Right. Because all he's doing is like a but it did (laughs) a small side cut and all these like Mac defenders or wherever they were are just skittling all over the field like that doesn't work at the nfl level the cam newton thing in college you're like well he's just bigger than these guys that's not going to function at the nfl level turns out he's bigger than the nfl players as well so it did but lamb feels like the next one of these and all the way through watching his tape i kept wanting to be like i mean i why are all these texas defenders just falling over when they hit him like it shouldn't 
an NFL player should make that tackle. Therefore, it's not going to work. But after being burned twice, at least, I'm now starting to default on the idea of, well, it's going to work until I see a reason for it not to. Right. So I don't know why it's functioning yet, but I'm going to work on the basis that until I see NFL defenders bringing him down every time, I'm going to assume he's still going to be able to break tackles after the catch at the NFL level. So the top three is fantastic. I think our boy Devin Smith – Show he had like that one deep post last year. Like, there it is. There's that deep speed. He would be a fantastic just speed number four if they trusted him and he stayed healthy and got through the season. There are some teams that should be making phone calls trying to get Devin Smith. All about Devin Smith. All about it. I mean, like, whatever about, you know, the guy that we like. But seriously, like, he showed enough last year, and the thing that he's good at is valuable enough. Plus, you know, first-round pedigree or whatever. It's not like he's a nobody. Like, oh, I, yeah, no. there are teams out there that do they not. They take every first rounder. Right. There are teams out there that do not have good receivers that should be making a phone call to see what that would cost. So in our preseason rankings, we called Dak a tier three quarterback. Yes. Which I think is fair. We'll explain in a minute. But he's going to look like a tier one. Number three offense. This is why. When you have a tier three quarterback and then this is your supporting cast. Number one wide receiver group that we gave him. Number three offensive line. Number three running backs. So, having Zeke, having Tony Pollard, the only real weakness there is tight end, where, honestly, not to trash Jason Witten again, <laughs> when we said Foster Moreau is way better than him, um, or he might be better than Foster Moreau, but, like, Jason Witten was obviously slow mm. and not helping much last year. Blake, Blake Jarwin at least has a little bit more athleticism, uh, but it's not a great tight end group. I would. They were the team, like, if David Njoku was really on the trading block, if they really wanted to put the finishing piece on this offense, adding another athletic weapon like an Njoku would be great. I think they'll be okay without a great tight end um, because you, have, you do have Zeke who can do some stuff out of the backfield. You have Tony Pollard who can play running back slash wide receiver and uh, be difficult to cover. So um, I think the offense is going to be really good. Again, calling Dak a Tier 3 quarterback is essentially based on this. The Tier 3 quarterback description is the guy that when he has it all right, when he has that great supporting cast – it gets elevated. Yeah. He, in his four seasons, two years of top 10 PFF grades, two years at like 1920. So he has been dependent on what's around him, which is fine. I also think with Kellen Moore, they tap into his skill set a little bit more. You've got his rushing ability that you can use in the red zone. Like Dak is a difficult quarterback to defend because he makes a lot of nice plays and he's got these nice receivers to throw to. I would say he is going to have a career year and look like an MVP candidate this season because of how good the situation around him is. And therefore, there's going to be a bunch of people calling you an idiot for putting him in tier three, even though it's exactly what you're saying. Um, like I, this, this, I also think, but I also think Dak and Wentz, there's a couple quarterbacks who are like a year or, or two away from a couple top 10 rankings of PFF grades where they're, okay, you feel pretty good about them in tier two, right? They are now the second tier of quarterback, which over the last decade has been Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, um, Andrew Luck, and honestly, Russell Wilson has been that until we just elevated him to tier one, which I think took the way he played the last two years um, for that to happen. So if you told me a year from now, you know what, Dak is in the Ben Roethlisberger ranking of NFL quarterbacks, like, okay, that's fine. It's not crazy, but I need to see it again from him. What about the defense? Okay, defensively, there are question marks in the secondary. It is a fascinating group of defensive linemen now that they've added Everson Griffin mm. to that mix. Demarcus Lawrence has been fantastic, but you've got Gerald McCoy in there, Dontari Poe. Like, you've just got a who's who of 
old-school veterans coming through here, uh, most of whom are still pretty good. Like, Griffin can still produce. Gerald McCoy can still produce. I think they're going to be solid up front. And Demarcus Lawrence is the, is the guy there. He's been really good, even though his sack totals have fluctuated up and down since his peak year in 2017. Like, he still wins quite a bit. So. Don't forget they also got uh, Alden Smith. And Alden Smith is in there as well. I mean, we don't know what you're going to get from Alden Smith, but um, I think Everson Griffin's a much better – you feel a little bit more reliable, I think, from Griffin, even with some of the issues he's had. Um, well, he's a little bit more reliable than because we just don't know what we're getting from Alden. Yeah, I think there's reasons to be quite optimistic about Alden Smith, assuming like the off-field stuff is sorted out, right? Assuming he isn't still a – guy dealing with substance issues that's going to crap out of the league like immediately if right. if he is really back on track and just all that's left is what does a guy at his age with five years out of football look like I think we've got something to work with but if nothing else what Alden Smith does is allow you to scale back on how much you need Everson Griffin to play because Everson Griffin in two of the past three seasons has played upwards of 900 snaps as a defensive end, right? Including the playoffs. But, like, 900 snaps is a lot. And last year, I think up to week 11, he was, like, second in the NFL in total pressures. Like, not in PFF grade, but he was getting after the quarterback. And then week 11 onwards, he sort of fell off a cliff a little bit. But if you, if instead of playing 900 snaps, if he's playing 600 snaps, maybe that week 11 gets pushed out, yeah. right? And you actually get the really productive version for the entire season, Alden Smith could potentially allow you to do that, even if he's just a capable rotational body. I love that. If he's anything like the guy that – because here's the interesting thing, right? Like Alden Smith set the rookie record for total pressures, and he was in the same rookie class as Von Miller, who, by the way, hit the ground running. It's like Von Miller yeah, sucked awesome. for year one. Yep. Like there was a period of the first year or so, first year or two, where – People thought Alden Smith, not Von Miller, was potentially the generational guy amongst that group, right? So he was on the kind of track to be a generational edge defender the way Von Miller was, and then obviously things went awry. But he was doing that whilst being this – like whilst his personal life was a disaster. So while we think, okay, five years out of the game, he's not going to be that guy again. He'll be somewhere below that. But maybe, like, that guy might have only been 75% of what he was capable of because the dude was dealing with substance abuse problems the whole way. True. Like, what if, what if there was another 25% to access, and now you're, now you're trying to calculate what down from the full potential is? It's just tough to access four years later. Sure, but I that's think. what I'm saying. Like, you might be 25% down on that, which ends up being the same guy. You know what I mean? I got Because you. the 25% you're losing now is ring rust and age whereas before it was substance abuse and whatever else he was dealing with, right? You might end up with the same net level, which is to say an all-pro. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get there, it. The potential for what he can be. like This is one of the best sort of low-risk, roll-the-dice, because the payoff is absurd. It's an interesting balance. We'll talk about the linebackers in a minute. Um, but the balance between their defensive line, which is Demarcus Lawrence and a whole bunch of veteran retreads, essentially, and then the secondary – which, other than HaHa Clinton Dix, is all homegrown. And they've rolled into the season. And I think part of the reason why we went into the draft and said, man, they have to draft a corner at some point is because not only is it all homegrown, but their entire secondary is, like, up at the end of this year. Like, they're not re-signed. Right. Cheetah Bay Jordan Lewis, Anthony Brown, Xavier Woods, and HaHa Clinton Dix are the starting four, uh, five. 
and Trevon Diggs, their second-round pick, will add depth. And, you know, Diggs might take a little bit of time to adjust to the NFL, but it's a nice piece to have for the future. Like every other team, it's going to come down to the secondary. Brown, Awuzie, and Jordan Lewis, all in that secondary, have all had points where they've graded pretty well. In the 60s, 70s, Brown had a stint where he looked really, really good. I think it's going to come down to that trio or Trevon Diggs adding, um, you know, stepping in and stealing some snaps from, from one of those guys. That's what it's going to come down to on the back end. So it's a, it's a homegrown secondary and a veteran now defensive line, um, which I think is just a fascinating combination. Um, linebackers, Leighton, uh, Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith did not play nearly as well as they did in 2018. Uh, 18, they were the best. They looked like the best young linebacking core in the NFL. Van Der Esch didn't play as well, was injured. Jalen Smith didn't play as well last year. I think it shows the fickle nature of, well, certainly PFF grades when it comes to linebackers. But, I mean, again, I think we do a good job of telling you how well these guys played. It's not like our grading system. It's that, you know, good linebacker production is very much dependent on who you play and how you play them and all this, all this stuff. But on paper, feel pretty good about Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith and what they bring to your back seven. Yeah, I mean, somebody said this recently. But if you were that 2018 group of linebackers, that class – Two years in, how on earth do you actually order those guys in terms of like what they are now? Leighton Van Der Esch, Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Rashawn Evans. Um, like, it's insane because, like, Leighton Van Der Esch looked like by far the best one of them year one. Yep. Year two was not nearly the same guy. Um, Rashawn Evans has taken steps forward, but as we talked before, is more of a sort of highlight than a right. consistent impact. Roquan Smith has been somewhat underachieving and then everyone loves Tremaine Edmonds because of the size the speed the fact that he's getting a bit better but I honestly would have no idea how to order that group right now um that's true and and obviously the the things that were sort of so interesting about them as prospects still differentiate them now age experience all this kind of stuff so it's a weird group I I mean I think Leighton Van Der Esch showed so much as a rookie I have to expect him bouncing back to some degree I agree the secondary is interesting because I think people are going to expect Trevon Diggs to hit the ground running because he was a first-round talent to most people. Like People expected that the Cowboys to draft him at 17, and they end up taking C.D. Lamb because he slipped and then still getting Trevon Diggs in the second round. Like For them, it's an absolute steal. But I think because of that perception that he's this first-round talent that we were kind of expecting to have in the first place, like he, obviously he'll be good as a second-rounder. But... I think there were reasons that he fell to the second round, and I think whatever you were going to do with him, he was the kind of corner that was likely to take some time to adjust. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. The, the group that they have in terms of young additions feel like 2021 20, players. Like whether it's Trevon Diggs, the guy – it's also worth mentioning Reggie Robinson that they got in the fourth round, who was a guy a lot of people loved, who's another one of these guys where size, speed, the, the, the tools are all there but it might take a little bit of time to put it all together. But I think this is going to be a team where there's enough talent on the defense for it to hold up, and the offense could be spectacular, at which point the team will be good. We also have a whole new scheme with Mike Nolan coming in, and you know, Dallas the last few years was leaning more toward that Seattle, cover three, simple, three and one, and um, that'll be interesting too. We, have, we haven't seen Nolan since, uh, when was the last time he was a defensive coordinator? I think Atlanta? A while ago. In 2012? Yeah, might or you know that was when he was last hired as a defensive coordinator, 2012 with the so Falcons. So it's not even so. like he, it's not even that we've gone gone as the old scheme and in comes this. Like we don't even know what this is. 
because it's a guy that hasn't really been coordinating for years. And if it was before, it was more like 3-4-ish. It was more, for whatever that's worth, that was back when the 3-4 was actually right. pretty distinct and different from, from the 4-3. Um, I think just from a secondary standpoint, you're just going to get a, a wider variety of scheme. Um, and that's where I think Trevon Diggs can come in. I think when you, if you do more game plan oriented stuff, having his size to maybe match up against bigger corners, that adds some value to this secondary. So um, anyway, with Dallas, let's wrap it up on them. What are your thoughts? What do you expect in the season? Are they the favorites in the NFC East? Yes. Um, I think that I think Dallas and the Eagles are close, but so many things have gone right for the Cowboys this off season. That I think you have to, bumped them ahead of Philadelphia um, I, between I think that was the best draft that anybody had you know top to bottom first round CeeDee Lamb being there is insane uh, as I say people thought Trevon Diggs was worth the first round or they get him in the second Neville Gallimore in the third was a guy that people were getting at least a round higher love Gallimore I mean in the fourth round they got Tyler Biotis who could start at center for them and Reggie Robinson who was a guy a lot of people love like this almost every single step of this draft was I said at the time, this was the kind of draft where if you had this in a mock draft simulator and put it out there, people would be like, your sim is broken. There's no way this value lasts all the way down. To that point, though, is this the year where, okay, that's not going to have as much of an immediate impact? Sure. But, I mean, that was just one of the things, right? Plus the coaching change, plus the fact that they retained most of the people of of use to them. Plus, you add Everson Griffin to replace uh, a, a Robert Quinn. Like you, you do patch up the area that, that needed it. Like I, this, everything that needed to go right for this team effectively went right. And I think the biggest thing that could happen is they just free themselves of the weight that was the underachieving nature of the the scheme and the coaching staff from before. That's what I'm most interested to see, though, because Mike McCarthy left Green Bay. Because everybody said his scheme's stale, he's yeah. this, he's that, he peaked early, you know, he wasted Aaron Rodgers' career and all that stuff, and Rodgers wasn't that much different last year with a new, with a new you know, uh, coach and system and coordinator and all that stuff. So I'll be interested, interested to see how McCarthy does. Are we going to be sitting here in year seven, uh, week seven, and he's like, ah, I'm taking over the play calling. Let's see how patient he is. Let's see if there's differences in his uh, in-game decision-making and all that stuff. So um, I, I agree, Dallas is the favorite, um, but – you know, like any other new coaching change, could take a little bit of time in the transition. Let's move on to the, to the New York Giants. Daniel Jones returns for year two here. I think, honestly, whether you're a Daniel Jones fan or a detractor, you came out of last year saying, I told you so. <laughs> I mean, we actually saw, like, Kuyper and McShay actually debated that stuff. McShay didn't like him, and he's like, I told you. He's not that good. And Kuyper's like, what are you talking about? I told you. He was great. Thus... I mean, I'm, that, that's I'm, Daniel Jones. I'm that not, is Daniel Jones. I'm not sure I can imagine a more painful piece of TV than two people confirming we'll to, their we'll priors to, after we'll the season. We'll have to fire it up and see it. Um, again, Daniel Jones, I think stylistically, um, is the guy very much like Nick Foles. Stylistically, he can have high highs. He can have low lows. The, the low lows last year were all the – I don't know what the official fumble total was. Was it like 20? It's about a million. It was a million total fumbles. Mm-hmm. But as, as far as ones that were truly his fault or ones we blame him for, it was like 10 or 11. It was about, bad. Yeah, about 750,000. 750,000. So 75% <laughs> of quarters of a million. There you go. Uh, that's a lot of bad fumbles. Mm. Um, the high-end plays were certainly there. I thought that was interesting to see what we saw from him his last year of college early in the year before he got hurt. He's got the high-end plays, and he's got high-end plays um, 
in and out of the pocket and while taking hits and all that stuff, and those are the plays that will fluctuate year to year, I think this, again, will come down to the supporting cast staying healthy. He never really had Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram all on the field, Saquon Barkley all on the field at the same time. Sounds like Giants fans are really optimistic about that supporting cast. I think it's a pretty good supporting cast, but I think the lack of a true dominant player puts them well below, I think, a lot of the other teams in the league. They're probably middle of the pack as far as supporting cast goes. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like their supporting cast. I think there's a lot of mileage to the idea that, look, they just didn't have those guys on the field together at any point last season. Like, I think genuinely the, the top five receivers – uh, in terms of supporting cast that they have, did not play a snap together, a single one. Um, so getting all those guys on the field should, I think, make a huge difference. I'm, I'm massively intrigued by Daniel Jones. Like, I, I think that there's probably a pretty healthy perception that I hate the guy because so much of, I yeah. think, so much of your attitude on a specific player is shaped by what you choose to react to. So with, jo- with Josh Allen, right, the idea is we hate Josh Allen – because we spend most of our time essentially replying to people that say Josh Allen's amazing. So yeah. the, the, like the, the, the reverberation from us is just nothing but hate, right? But the idea is a little, like, it's only because everyone else is going overboard the other direction, right? right? If you're actually asking where we stand on the guy. I was first on Josh Allen. It's I was different. the first guy. I was telling people at like midnight in a Mountain West game, like, this is the dude, Josh Allen. So with Daniel Jones, I think it's kind of similar. Like most of what I would have said about Daniel Jones is probably negative on the basis that like everyone is losing their damn minds about how good he is, right? But I will say that I think he was better year one than I was expecting him to be already. Yeah. I'm really intrigued by how good he can be in particular because he's in the same – Gardner Minshew boat of the thing that he sucked at the most is the thing that I think gets fixed just by virtue of playing for a while, right? This idea of you hold on to the ball too long, you're, you're a tick too slow to process and to just generally function. The speed of the game thing is killing him right now. And that's why you get these, you know, million fumbles of which three quarters of a million were his fault. Um, Give or take. Right. But I think just those young guys, that's the thing that changes when they – this thing that we all hear about is the speed of the game, finally, the, the light goes on, all this kind of cliche crap, right? There's something to it, and I think what happens is that they, they just start to work out how, the, how fast the game at the NFL level functions and how to read things better now that nobody's college open anymore. If you do that, and that becomes like maybe a minor flaw of his game as opposed to like a crippling issue, you're already significantly better. Like, you're already talking about a completely different player. Now, the next thing is that I don't know that he was – I don't know that he had quite as many big en- or high-end plays as a lot of people were giving him credit for. Like, I think there were a lot of plays in there that, you know, were sort of the product of the offense. And then every now and again, you get one of these highlight reel things. And there were he some, had a few nice ones. Sure, yeah. but Under-pressure plays. But again, like, like I that. think people are saying that this is, like, a huge part of his game. Like, there's so many of these big-end plays. He had 19 big-time throws, right? Yeah. Like Jameis had 40. He, Jones had high-end games, four touchdowns, five, you know, whatever. Right. That's he what had, I'm saying. So he I had think high-end games, and we were, we were the ones saying, well, that was, that's a dump-off that went for 40 yards. Or that, you know, there was, those were inflated just a little bit. Right. So I think the numbers have people thinking that he's, like, he's on that Jameis path, right, of like insane high-end big-time throws left and right, and you just need to eliminate you know, the bat. 
Um, I don't know that he's quite there. Like 19 big-time throws ranked 18th I mean, last season. All that said, like 6.6 yards per attempt last year. Again, not taking you know supporting cast, rookie, blah, 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 blah. But if you're coming out of last year, and I, I just said it at the top of this, I remember a lot of the high-end plays, but this wasn't an explosive passing offense. They were averaging 6.6 per attempt with him back there. So, um, look, I think there was more – I'm with you. I think there was more encouraging signs than discouraging. Mm. But I also think that if you went back and read my preseason scouting report where I said he's a day-two guy that has a wide range of outcomes right. year-to-year and game-to-game – I think we described him to a T. Now, now my question is, is that actually worth taking him in the first round? Because yes. of it, maybe, you know, maybe we missed on that as far as so, where you would take that skill set. But I think describing the skill set, we nailed it. Because he did not play that well in college. No, he didn't. He and just even, didn't play that well. Even, I don't, we've been asking the question more than sort of making that declaration, right? That all we've been saying is that we would not take a player that fits these descriptions in the first round, right? So to a lot of people, it's like, you guys are just trying to back up your priors, whether it's Josh Allen or whether it's Daniel Jones. All you guys are doing is trying to prove yourselves right, right? We're like, but our point with these guys is that there's definitely a way they can be successful. Like literally the line that we were hammering for Josh Allen all the way through is that this guy is not Christian Hackenberg. He has oh, the yeah. ability to become a decent NFL player. There's just a lot of question marks, right? And at that point, I don't think that's worth a first-round pick. But because the NFL disagrees and they take guys like that in the first round and actually high up, people are like, well, you guys are just trying to back up what you said. A, we're not because what we actually said fits that. It's just that they differ on where you would take that. And B, if you look back at our history, you'll show that we don't care about backing it up, right? We had Trubisky as the number one quarterback in the NFL, and we were the first people telling you that Trubisky sucked. Like, we do not care about backing up what we said about these guys as prospects because it's more interesting to actually to be right about in, in the NFL. I, I want to bring something else up. Is there – I'm going to look Pat Shermer in his history, right? So he's gone. Yes. Um, but Pat Shermer, if you look at the times that he called plays or was involved in the offense at the highest level, we get the Rams 2009 and 10. That was The Rams were bad, and then they drafted Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford, and that was his rookie season. He may have peaked as a rookie. Sam Bradford. He wasn't great, but he no, was... he peaked at Oklahoma. Okay, he peaked at Oklahoma. I'm Sam Bradford apologist here. Still believe. Sign him. Even Sam Bradford apologist would say that the best season he ever had was at Oklahoma. Definitely at Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, anyway, his rookie season wasn't too bad. He was the head... Uh, Shermer was the head coach of the Browns, 11 and 12. There's actually nothing great coming out of that. But he was also the offensive coordinator for the Eagles in 13 to 15. That's Chip Kelly's years. And I have always attributed those years to being Chip Kelly's offense, right. whatever. But those were years where if you go back, the quarterback production was better than their actual play. So good, good job there by Shermer, right? We'll say that. 2017, he extracted a career year out of Case Keenum, yes. right? That got him the head coaching job with the New York Giants. 2018, he had Eli Manning. And then last year, Daniel Jones got a 24 touchdowns. Like you get, and the reason why you come out of games and it's like, PFF, you idiots. Daniel Jones threw four touchdowns and had no picks, and you gave him a 71 grade. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. The reason why that happens is because we said, well, it's the playmakers, it's the scheme, it's whatever. My point is, Shermer's got, take his head coaching out of it, he's got a pretty good track record of elevating quarterback statistics. Right. So are we actually coming out of this year saying he got a lot out of Daniel Jones schematically, even though as a head coach, 
fine, he may have failed and he's moving on after two years. Yeah, let me, let me structure it a different way and say, so reasons for optimism for the Giants, I think, on offense. <clears throat> One, I do kind of like that receiving group. I think it has the ability to, to elevate a player or at least not hinder him. Two, Daniel Jones, year two, I think there's reason to expect to step forward. And B, I think the thing, B, 2.5, I think the, the thing that he's bad at um, is the thing that just by a course of playing for a long time fixes itself. Should the easiest, right? Yep. <clears throat> so those would be the reasons for optimism. Reasons for concern, one, that offensive line, even worse now that Nate Solder is Yeah, I want, we'll talk about away, the line for sure. Out. Yep. <clears throat> and two, what you're saying that Pat Shermer I mean, gets fired but does have a pretty good track record of quarterback and the guy that's coming in to replace him in terms of offensive coordinator is the guy that we just put all the blame at the doorstep of for Dallas underachieving for years, right? right. So you've gone from a guy who, let's say f- from a neutral perspective, you were saying Pat Shermer has a pretty good track record of going above 500 in terms of quarterback performance yeah. versus what should be there. Jason Garrett, you would probably say, has the opposite, right? He's had a track record of underachieving from the quarterback that he's had. So that, I think, would be pretty concerning if you're a Giants fan. You've gone from a guy that's... You don't know, though, because he's been... You know, there's a difference between head coach and offensive coordinator. Right, and, and it's that. not like... You don't know. It's not a certainty. It's just reasons for optimism versus reasons for concern. I would say that's a reason to be concerned. Um, let's go to the offensive line then. You, so, real quick, the playmakers, Golden Tate, still awesome after the catch and at the catch point. Mm-hmm. He's got stu- stuff to offer. Sterling Shepard hasn't – he's been pretty good. He hasn't become maybe the high-volume, you know, top three slot that we thought he could become, but he's a solid possession receiver. Darius Slayton showed some, you know, deep ability as a, as a rookie. And then Evan Ingram went healthy, good mismatch type of tight end that can move around the formation. That's good guys to throw to, plus Barkley out of the backfield. Barkley and Deion Lewis there now. And Deion Lewis. Um, Offensive line-wise, when we did our offensive line rankings and we did our podcast on it, I said, you know what? Of all the teams that could sneak into the top ten, I'm going to say it's the Giants. Hmm. And it was in part when they – it was because they had Nate Solder, who was coming off of a poor year, but his previous seasons were much better. So I was expecting (laughs) – You were. Him to regress to the mean a little bit more. You were also expecting that last season when I told you that that Nate Solder kind of sucked. But either way, Nate Solder – I feel more confident – about Nate Solder than I do third rounder Matt Pear. I'll or, give you that. Or Andrew Thomas, really. Like, whoever they put at left tackle, it'll probably be Andrew Thomas. Yes. Um, and Parrott will probably play right tackle if, if he even wins the job. We'll talk, well, we'll figure it out. But if it was Solder at left tackle and Thomas at right tackle, who was our number one tackle in the draft, I'd say, okay, I think they'll be okay. And then the interior, it was expecting Will Hernandez to take that year three leap. Yep. It's, it's Kevin Zeitler's already one of the league's best. And then it's like, okay, your only massive question mark is at center. Spencer Pulley, and it's like, all right, we could deal with that. So I thought the Giants were on their way to the top 10. Now I think they're on their way to the bottom 10 mm. because I love Andrew Thomas. You just don't know what you're going to get from a rookie, say, call him left tackle. Paired in the third round, the reason why I loved him as a draft pick is because he produced at UConn and hasn't played a lot of football in his career, <laughs> right? And I, I'm like, all right, he's got all the tools and skills, and he's still produced, and, like, there's something to him. But I'm thinking in, like, 2022 – right. We're going to get something out of paired. If he's forced into the starting lineup, or if it's not him, it's Kyle Murphy or Cam Fleming or Nick Gates. I mean, we've got some some issues there. And then the interior can then, then it's like the question at center is one of three questions instead of the only real question. So I think the offensive line right now could be an issue, and it's all in part because of the dominoes coming from Solder. And remember, um, as much as 
you know, we're kind of saying this might improve year two. Daniel Jones holds on to the ball longer than, you know, most players in the NFL like that. It causes his own fumbles, but it also stresses the crap out of his pass protection, right? So, that, Yeah, the offensive line wasn't nearly as bad as Giants fans felt it was last year, right. in part because of Jones. Like, Daniel Jones is in an area last season in terms of average time to throw with Russell Wilson, Mr. Extend the Play, you know, Gardner Minshew, who that was his major flaw as well. Jacoby Brissett, that's one of his biggest flaws. Aaron Rodgers, again, holds on to the ball for an age. Trying, like, he's in that bracket of quarterbacks that are right now – holding onto the ball way longer than average. And it's, it's one of two things. Either it's their crippling flaw, these quarterbacks, or it's like the thing that distinguishes them as a passer, right? Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers make it work that way. Those other guys don't. So even if Jones gets a little bit better, he's probably going to be a negative force on this offensive line. All right. So <laughs> offensively, I'll just answer it with a wide range of outcomes. Daniel Jones, if he's under a ton of pressure – he could have a disastrous year, or he could have one of those good years because I, you know, he, it's one of those traits, the scouty traits. He sits in there and makes plays under pressure, which he, at least he attempts to. And when mm. you attempt to make those plays, as he does, sometimes they go well, sometimes they don't. I mean, that's the bottom line on Jones. <laughs> and there, there'll be a year in there, Giants fans, much like Eli, there'll be a year or two where he looks really good. It's going to happen. Defensively. This is where they still, I don't think, have taken many steps forward. Patrick Graham comes in to coordinate the defense. His only time coordinating was last year with the Miami Dolphins. Now, they got better as the year went on. They, were, they had very little talent, but they were the worst defense in the NFL by a wide margin, the Dolphins. So the talent with the Giants may be slightly better, but we've, we've got them in the 20s for everything. Defensive line, linebacker, and secondary. Um, My question with this is, what are they building? I don't know. They've got this stable of monster run-stuffing interior players, all of whom presumably are going to be starting because there's no other option. So Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, they bring in B.J. Hill is there as well. Like, and then the linebackers, they're also like run-focused players, right? My boy David Mayo, that's the only thing he's good at. He's good at it, but God yeah. bless him, he can't cover that well. Um, Blake Martinez, like he's more of a, a downhill run player than a, a coverage force as well, though he at least has shown weird seasons where he's been good at that. But like, what is this team? What is that? This is a defense that is not constructed for 2020 NFL football. I, I always, I like to compare to the 2012 Falcons a lot. Was it that year that they just brought in? They brought in all the they big bodies. They got tougher up front. Yeah, they just brought in a ton of big bodies up front and that is that is what the Giants are I mean it is I I like the fact that Gettleman took a bunch of shots in the secondary the last couple of years one of them's DeAndre Baker who's facing jail time and one of them is Sam Beal who's opted out yeah so that's that's part of the issue here now when you look their secondary we ranked 27th but that was where I really shuffled to 27 through 32 or 26 through 32 when I did that and said any of them could land anywhere in this range yeah now Knowing there's no Baker, who did struggle as a, struggle as a rookie, no Beals, I, Beal, they're not great. I mean, that's I mean, a bad secondary. They bring in James Bradbury, who, you know, another you know former former Panther, Gettleman's familiar with, but like, and I, he's I, had one good year. He has, but I do think that Bradbury will look immediately better just by being away from the role that he had in Carolina. Yeah. 
like he had one of the toughest gigs in the NFL in terms of like consistent week to week matchups. Like Julio Jones twice a season, Mike Evans twice true, a season. Like true. that dude has faced the who's who of receiving talent in like week on week more than almost anybody else in the NFL. He, in terms of um, <clears throat> like, you know, uh, Stephon Gilmore's or Jalen Ramsey is a better example, right? Jalen Ramsey tracks the number one receiver every single week, right? So he's going to have the hardest gig of pretty much anybody. In terms of receivers that don't do that, like every single week religiously, or corners rather that don't do it, Bradbury, I think, had the toughest job in the NFL. So just by getting the hell out of that to New York where, all right, you're facing some good receivers in the NFC East, but it's not, it's not the murderer's row of the NFC South, I think he immediately looks significantly better. And even if he is, he's their best guy. That's fine. But the rest of the depth chart is Montre Hardage. It's not good. Christian Angulo, Corey Ballantyne, who had like a couple good plays as a rookie last year. Grant Haley. It's not great. Uh, Julie, uh, Jabril Peppers and uh, Julian Love showed some things as a rookie last year, moving to safety, which is fine. Jabril Peppers has been okay. But this is like, remember when uh, 2006, you got the, the Williams Wall hmm. in Minnesota and New England rolls in there? And they're like, New England used to do this all the time with Brady. They're like, we're not running against this front. We're going to throw the ball literally every down. And they threw the ball like 22 straight times to start the game or whatever it was. Like, wouldn't you do that against the Giants? Yeah. With, the three, with Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Dexter Lawrence up front. Right. I'm not running against that. Their pass rush doesn't look great at all. It's Lorenzo yeah. Carter. They brought back Marcus Golden, who we talked about. His numbers were somewhat of a mirage. You know, yeah. like he was the guy – that had like 40% of his pressure was clean up, unblocked, all that kind of stuff. Like his numbers, the 10 sack thing was not who he was last season, right? right. So if you're expecting that to be the, your big impact guy, that's a problem. Um, I mean, maybe you're expecting a step forward from the young guys. Kylo Fackrell has flashed the ability to rush the quarterback, but never done it on a consistent basis. So you've got this defense full of like monstrous run stuffers, no clear pass rushing uh, plus play. And a secondary with major question marks. I, this is just not a defense that's set up to be good. It, what it looks like is the front seven kind of looks like the Ravens the last couple of years, where it's like, here's some run stoppers, here's some, we don't have any legit one on one winner, you know, pass rush winners or anything like that. However, we've got a top three secondary in the NFL, so we'll be okay. Hmm. The Giants have essentially done the same thing except with one of the worst right. secondaries in the NFL. That's They're, the issue. They remind me of the Jets from like five years ago, right? Where it's like, how are they going to get all of these giant run stuffers on the field at the same time? Like, where it's, always are they gonna, it's always a Leonard Williams right. team. Where are they going to play? Because there's too many of them. Yeah. They've done the same thing. And you're right, again, without like the back-end thing that made it function. Like back then, the Jets had A, Rex Ryan's defensive scheme that was able to scheme up pressure. Scheme and, pressure. and B, Darrell Rivas, which is kind of useful for that, right? So... I, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand how this defense functions in 2020. It just doesn't look like it's built the right way, particularly when you're talking about in a division that's going to have some good offenses. Like, I, I mean, this is a problem. You've got a whole new coaching staff, as we mentioned. I think the Giants. I don't have a ton of confidence in them. I yeah. think their best case scenario, though, is the step forward from Jones, the receiving talent all being out there together. Um, much like we talked about with other teams, there's a lot. This needs to happen. This needs to like. Mm-hmm. There's four or five things that need to happen, including Jones, the receiving core, you know, Barkley. I always mention Barkley's going to have one of those. He'll, he'll rush for like 1,800 one year when he's got pristine run blocking. That's the other part about Solder. Say what you want about Solder and pass protection. He's a pretty good run blocker. And if you had him and Thomas and Zeitler and Will Hernandez, like you could see 
you know, Saquon having some some big play opportunities from a run game standpoint. I'm not feeling that right now. Um, secondary, what ifs. Blake Martinez and the linebacking core, what ifs. Pass rush, what ifs. I think the Giants are bottom half of the NFC East. Mm, yes. I mean, Battle, I think this is Battling the uh, WFTs. Yeah, I think <laughs> – I think this is the division of two teams. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely in the second half of it. I mean, the optimism for them is, <clears throat> is on offense, right? It's the receiving group. It's the quarterback. Like, if Daniel Jones takes a big step in year two, which is entirely possible. Like, the stuff about his college situation is all true, right? Wretched environment of which he clearly outperformed what was probably reasonable to expect. Um, so if he does take a big step, that will paper over a lot of cracks, right? So there's, a, there's definitely a way this offense is good. I almost don't see any way the defense is good, which is their issue. All right, before we move on to the rest of the NFC East, quick break to tell you about the preseason NFL Draft Guide 2021 draft. We're looking forward with 100 NFL Draft prospect player profiles, our exclusive grades, advanced stats. It's all part of Edge or Elite, and it's live on pff.com this Wednesday, August 19th. So go check it out. If you have Edge or Elite, it'll just be there for you to download a uh, big PDF. Uh, I think it's over 400 pages or whatever it might be. So, uh, Or is that the College Football Magazine? Either way, I think we're dropping thousands of pages of awesome this week <laughs> um, in PDF form. Plus, of course, the College Football subscription with the promo code CFB25. If you are in the industry, essentially if you're in Draft Twitter, which is a very specific group of people, but there's actually no reason for you not to get this mm. um, because it's going to aid in you doing your job, draft Twitter folks. So CFB25 is the promo code. You get 25% off the college football grades and premium stats. And then the preseason NFL draft guide is a part of Edge or Elite. That's the PFF side, the, P- uh, the NFL side of the product. Edge or Elite uh, draft guide is out this week. So Philadelphia Eagles, let's move on here. Uh, they won the division last year. Yes. Went to the playoffs. Where do you stand? A lot of people are like, hey, look at Carson Wentz carrying this team and when they didn't have any receivers. And, you know, of course, all performance is going to have dependence on what's happening around you. But Wentz was also one of our lowest-graded quarterbacks last year down the stretch from, like, week five on. We, we had to completely change our narrative, and we said – Early in the year, he's making big-time throws left and right that are getting dropped or not falling incomplete or mm. whatever it might be. And it's like, man, Wentz is playing better than his six-and-a-half yards per attempt would show. And then down the stretch, the receivers all got hurt. He still had his two tight ends to throw to, but he wasn't making nearly as many good throws. He was fumbling in the pocket. He had some issues there, and he did not grade all that well. Um, but – they found a way to make the playoffs despite Greg Ward being the number one wide receiver. I've never seen a depleted yes. wide receiver group So that's the thing. Like this team. I, I mean, I, th- I think it really is worth – his grades went about as I, had, I would have expected them to, right? In that early in the season, he was playing really well. He was, like his, he was playing better than his numbers showed because – I mean, there was a point where we were pointing out where his receivers had dropped literally, I think, three or four game-winning passes. Right? Oh, yeah. Not just like big plays that would have been touchdowns, like actual – this is the difference between a win or a loss Lions, in this game. Falcons, a right. couple games, yeah. So a few of those that completely change the narrative. Like, those break your way. Suddenly you're an MVP candidate. Those don't go your way. It's like, what's wrong with Carson Wentz and the Eagles? Um, and then late in the season, everybody was hurt. Like, Greg Ward was their number one receiver, and Greg Ward just came out of the AAF. Like, 
I've never seen a receiving core get that badly wrecked to the point where you're bringing in a guy that probably isn't on your roster you know, in most normal situations, and he's your number one and basically the only guy with any kind of experience of anything. And coming into the year, we said, okay, we didn't call him the best receiving core. We called it the best group of playmakers. Right. And on paper, it looked great. You have big-bodied Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson and You know, we were talking about the the Patriots receiving core being bad enough that it caused Tom Brady's decline last season. Like, the Eagles was worse. And so for it to affect – Carson Wentz's grade and performance and all those kinds of things, I think is entirely expected. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that part made total sense. And for the Eagles, it's huge that this year, in theory, that shouldn't be a factor, right? I mean, it shouldn't have been last year either, but Lightning's not going to strike twice in the same place year on year. So the Eagles suddenly have a completely different receiving group than they did last season where you had to battle through it. Plus, they add a guy like Jalen Rager in the first round who should be an immediate impact player. It's one of the most fascinating stories, I think, from a team-building standpoint. They've got you know, Howie Roseman. They've, they've just got a good group of evaluators over there, and they came into the offseason with a, a legitimate strategy, get faster, mm-hmm. both sides of the ball. And they also drafted Jalen Hurts as a backup quarterback in the second round. So for, there's just a lot of things at play, like are the Eagles moving in the right direction? Let's start with the speed thing. Last year, one of the reasons why I liked their receiving group is because I get attracted to the ability to win different ways. I love that they had a speed receiver. Aguilar was normally good in the slot, and Jeffrey's huge. And the two tight ends both have unique skill sets that are tough to cover, and then they added J.J. Arasega-Whiteside. They had all, all the skill sets covered, and it looked like Wentz had a million dudes to throw to. Now, it's all speed guys and all Sean Jeffrey and J.J., right? I mean, it's Deshaun Jackson's back. They've traded for Marquise Goodwin, who ended up opting out, which probably helps their decision-making process as far as unpacking this receiving core. I thought Deshaun Jackson would be hitting the streets. I mean, I thought he'd be just the odd man out, but maybe he is an impact player because he he still is really good. Yeah, I think he will be. I mean, so, yeah, I think the Marquise Goodwin opting out thing – it makes their life easier in terms of figuring out what to do because yeah. they have one less body to, to shoehorn into this thing. But I think it actually also leaves them with this really balanced receiving group, right? Alshon Jeffrey, big body possession guy, who does actually have a consistent track record of being a plus contested catch guy. Like generally, I think that that is an overrated, overblown attribute or trait. I think most people that we think of of being good contested catch guys actually aren't. He's a good possession receiver. He's not just right. contested, but he, it's, so you trust him. Possession, contested catch. He is actually good at that stuff. Uh, Deshaun Jackson has been the best deep threat in the NFL for the majority of his career. Still should be. I mean, there's training camp videos, Steve. They're there. They're everywhere. They're out there. Deshaun Jackson has been beating Darius Slay like a drum uh, a few times. So that's fun. Jalen Rager, I think, fits in as the third starter, if you like, in a three-wide receiver set as you know slot run after the catch quickness gimmicky stuff right Deshaun Jackson is the deep threat Alshon Jeffrey is your possession contested catch guy and Jalen Rager is everything else then you have as depth Greg Ward who was functional last year as the only guy left standing and the reclamation project that is what is J.J. Arcega-Whiteside after such an ugly first year in the NFL right I don't think they've fully given up on him but like, you, you don't want him playing right now, given what he showed. Right. And then they drafted fifth-round receiver John Hightower, four four three speed. 
Quez Watkins. It runs in the four threes. So they were adding speed. They brought Robert Davis in, a former combine standout. I mean, they just they were like, we're going to be faster. Um, I love it. You know, I love speed, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that Carson Wentz. Just to reiterate once again, you don't just get better every year as a quarterback. Right. Wentz would have been the perfect story. Pretty good rookie season. MVP candidate in his second season, like, now you're a superstar. That's it. You're a star every year. But that hasn't been the case. He's been good. He's good. Carson Wentz is good. 2018, 19, good player. And if you back it up and say what went well in 2017, like, why couldn't he match it? Well, he was so good at stuff that is not sustainable, like third down. He was incredible on third down, incredible under pressure, and his touchdown rate was through the roof. But he had all the pieces healthy the entire season that he was throwing to. So if this group stays healthy, and it is as you described, it's Jeffrey and Jackson and Rager and however else they piece together wide receiver four, and then Dallas Goddard, from a fantasy standpoint, I think steals some targets from Zach Ertz. Ertz has been high volume, good route running tight end who gets open. Goddard, I think, is a better all-around player as far as run blocking goes. He can stretch the seam a little bit. I think Goddard steals some targets. But, man, again, on paper, it should be a good group to throw to. And I think once, if these guys stay healthy, once should have a good season. Yeah, I think skill position players across the board are a plus for the Eagles. The receiving, the plus wide Boston receiver, the wide receiver group is really good. That they have two tight ends rather than one elite one. Um, so they might have the best of the tight end one-two punch in the NFL. Zach Ertz is still good, though I think on the way down. Dallas Goddard is really good and on the way up. So that might balance itself out. Um and then, you know, Miles Sanders, I think, is a huge product of the blocking that was in front of him. But he's a talented player. Like, he's a really good player. And, of course, my guy, Boston Scott. Yeah, of course, Boston Scott. Who I think could, gen- could genuinely steal, like, a lot of third down reps in that offense. You know, I think they like making him into a Darren Sproles now that they don't have Darren Sproles. Yeah. I don't think he's quite the same player, but I think he can kind of do that job. Like, if you give him the Darren Sproles out-of-the-backfield targets and as a matchup problem player, given that that role does exist – in this offense, I think he can do that to a pretty high level. Plus, you know, he can run between the tackles despite being the size of your shoe. <laughs> the little guy. Uh, Jalen Hurts being the second-round player, do they try some Taysom Hill stuff? They did not God. dismiss it. And, again, I, I, don't think, I don't think the Saints are winning the Super Bowl because of Taysom Hill or anything like that. But the more you can give defenses to think about, there's a lot to think about with this Eagles. The offense already, do you throw Jalen Hurts in the mix? As a as a you know change up as well, I think that's potentially on the table. My question would be, why? What does he do? I don't know. Uh, he's got good running back skills. Does he? he? He runs the ball pretty well. He's not great. He's like not he's dynamic. Not, I mean, is he even as good an athlete as Taysom Hill? Um, they're probably comparable. I would. I mean, I think Taysom Hill's a better athlete they're than comparable. Jalen Hurts. And well, let me just say this: I wouldn't. I don't think Hertz has an incredible skill set to work with. I liked the pick more so as the insurance as a backup player and the fact that he's he generally hits open receivers pretty well, and that's a, a good thing to, to bank on projecting a quarterback. So I liked that as a pick. I, I don't hate as a pick. I'm just – in terms of, like, getting him on the field now as a Taysom Hill package, right? Yeah. So as much – we can debate the Taysom Hill thing back and forth all day long, and people do. The Taysom Hill package factor threat in New Orleans at least does a couple of things. One, Taysom Hill has a completely different level of athleticism than Drew Brees. Like Drew Brees is an immobile statue in the pocket. 
Nah, not an immobile statue. Drew Brees does not, is not a threat to scramble and or run, ever. So as soon as you put Taysom Hill in there, there's something different to think about, right? Um, and two, Drew Brees has also now got this declining arm strength thing, and Taysom Hill has an arm. So it also gives you a second thing to think about. Jalen Hurts is a comparable athlete to Carson Wentz, who's already there. He's also well, a comparable threat to scramble to Carson Wentz, who's already there. But like, what does bringing, him, what does bringing him in do? Do they use Hurts in the red zone and say— To achieve what? To keep Carson Wentz healthy. Do so, <laughs> so, like, if you weren't worried about Carson Wentz's health, which has been a massive issue yes. in his career, right? Hasn't played in a playoff game, uh-huh. even though they've made the playoffs— um, if you were trying to conserve him, would you bring Jalen Hurts in, run some zone read type stuff, and say, okay, I mean, if we, if we can scheme it up well enough, like you can hit some open dudes in the red zone. The, the issue with that is Carson Wentz is really good down there because he's got a cannon, yes. which works in tight windows. It's not throw the ball 70 yards. It's tight window throws that Wentz makes. He makes plays outside the pocket, and he could hold the ball on his own keeper every now and again yeah. and, and, and make I... some plays. But do you think they want to be so – safe with him and say, we're going to play the long game with Wentz. We're actually going to try Hurts as a red zone change of, change of pace. And when you're throwing to all these dudes, the tight ends and J.J. and Alshon Jeffrey, you like you should be okay, and plus your rushing ability. I think at the point where you are scheming, you're changing your entire offense to protect your quarterback who may not get hurt anyway. Then you got the wrong quarterback. Well, you either got the wrong quarterback or you, you're, you, you might as well just stop, right? Like yeah. this is – it's a dangerous game. There's risks associated. Your quarterback is the most important part, but like he's a risk to get hurt. But look, you can't you can't say, all right, we're not going to have a red zone quarterback just in case our actual quarterback gets hurt in those red zone plays. Like, what if, what if he gets hurt on, you know, the, the plays between the twenty? Like, oh, no, do I we need it. to start? Do we suddenly need to start removing him from third and short situations? But you know, this is when he first uh, blew out in 2017, the MVP season. It yeah. was on a run in the red zone. Yeah. You know how teams work, right? They're like, that was the thing that got him hurt. Like, Steve Young's career ended because a rookie blew a pass protection, a r- rookie running back or whatever it was. So it's like, well, rookies can never pass protect ever in the history of the NFL. <laughs> like, it can't happen. Steve Young got a concussion. Yeah. Derek Carr got hurt on the one sack that Donald Penn gave up. Therefore, Donald Penn can't pass protect anymore, right? Like, that's what they think of. I could see that with Hurts if they're talking about mixing them in. I could just see it. Oh, we're going to keep Wentz healthy. We just we won't use him in the red zone. God. I'm not saying they're going to, but um, anyway, my fantasy football prediction is more more targets for Goddard and fewer for Ertz. Okay. Uh, defensively, uh, sorry, offensive line wise, big questions. Andre Dillard stepping in at left tackle. Yeah. Good job team building from a forward looking. Jason Peters is going to be gone. We bring in Andre Dillard, so he's the guy now. And then Peters comes back as the starting right guard now, uh, which is a tough transition to make. But the Eagles think. still on paper should be pretty good offensively, uh, yeah. line-wise. The, the Andre Dillard thing is a bit like the uh, Taven Bryan pick that we talked about with the Jags. Yeah. Right? They correctly forecast how this would work in that a year or two's time, this guy would need to step in, be the starter, and even though it wasn't an area of need at the time, it's going to look seamless now. The only thing is that relies on you actually getting that right and that guy being the player that you thought he was, Taven Bryan so far has not been that player for the Jags, so the, the end result is bad. Dillard has yet to show that he can be a quality left tackle. Now he needs to because suddenly they've gone from, all right, it would be nice if you immediately show some plus play to now you're actually the starter 
if you suck, we've got some problems. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a bit huge year for Andre Dillard. He needs to show that he can be a, that guy. And the Jason Peters thing is going to be really interesting. I mean, A, it's a really difficult transition. B, you know, there are people out there that think that that idea of, you know, you spend years and years doing it this way, you shift to the other way, that's going to cause some real, like, biomechanical problems to your body. Like, you know, who was it that switched uh, switched sides and immediately, like, blew out an Achilles or whatever? Wasn't that Penn? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, they asked Penn to switch sides after, like, a decade of being, doing things one way and then immediately parts of his body just explode. So, uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting, the, the Jason Peters thing. You've got to think that he's such a quality player, period, that if, it, if his body holds up, he'll be a solid right guard for no other reason than – I mean, he's not lacking in the skill set. He's, he's, right, yeah. he's just a really good offensive lineman. So, But I think there is a reasonable fear that his body doesn't hold up. I mean, it hasn't been holding up anyway, even just playing left tackle. Now you're asking him to completely change every biomechanical aspect of what he's doing and flip sides. It's, it's a rough ask. I still would have loved to see Peters play left tackle a few other places. Um, so I think they'll be good up front. They had to make that move because, because of Brandon Brooks being out for the year defensively here's the deal eagles fans they they buy into the story that it starts up front yes what do you got? by the way there's this outside chance that let's say the andre dillard thing so let's say andre dillard is a disaster right completely completely unviable and you suddenly you're a few weeks into the season you have to figure out what the hell we're doing about left tackle you're left now in this really interesting spot where do we move jason peters back do we essentially flip him and Andre Dillard and ask Dillard to play right guard? Equally questionable. Or does Jordan Mailata actually get a shot playing left tackle for this team? Oh, man. I mean, you know, me and loving uh, – if you can find a starter out of nowhere, Freaky like a Jordan Mailata. athlete who's shown well in preseason but is never going to get the shot But we don't right have now. preseason. Like, Mailata needed preseason. Like, he needs every last well, rep. he needed preseason or he needed Andre Dillard to be a disaster. Yeah. Like, I, I think, you know, it's not as simple. Offensive linemen talk about this all the time. It's never as simple as taking tackles and just kicking them into guards. I do think, like, if you fail at tackle, you should have a shot at guard. I think the Eagles, though, have a bunch of just tackles. Like, Prince Tega, Winogu, second round, uh, sixth round pick, and then Jack Driscoll, the fourth round pick. Like, those dudes are like... They're tackles. They're not guards. Matt Pryor could play guard. You know, he was probably going to be the guy behind Brooks if they didn't sign Jason Peters. Andre Dillard's another guy that, like, he's a swift-footed, mm. pass-protecting tackle. Like, that's what he is. Like, they have a bunch of guys who are tackles. Yeah. So I don't know who plays guard. Like, even Jason Peters, is, you know, he could do it because he's got power and all that stuff. But they don't have classic guards on this team. So I don't know. What I, I think I would be fine with kicking Jason Peters back out to left tackle. I just don't know if Dillard's the guy that you could put it. I think Matt Pryor's the guy that has to play guard if Dillard was a disaster. Right, which is why I'm saying that Peters probably doesn't move, at which point Mylotta might get a shot at playing left tackle. Maybe. Yeah, Mylotta could play guard or tackle. I don't know. We'll see. I don't, we don't have preseason I mean, to evaluate looks, his development. He right looks now. like a tackle only as well in terms of size, shape, all that kind of and stuff. And you probably, from a simplistic yes, standpoint, guy want learned to play football like a fortnight ago. You yeah. probably don't want him learning guard. A fortnight ago. Um, let, here's the bottom line with the Eagles. They 2017, and you know they won the Super Bowl, and everybody's like, it all started up front. The Eagles have had a top five pass rush every single season since 2015. Hmm. Their defensive line has been excellent every single year. Now, granted, 
They were number one in 2017. Yeah. But they were second in 2016, and they were third in 2018 and all that stuff. I the think... difference was the coverage grade. That yes. was it. That was the only difference. They have not finished since that time. They have not finished above 12th, and they've usually been 15th or lower. Def- every single year except one since 2015. Definitely true. The Going from a crappy coverage unit to a, even an average cover, coverage unit moves the needle more. On the other hand, I also think there's something to this idea that there is a threshold line in pressure where you go from being it's a problem to an offense to it is suffocating an offense. And the Eagles certainly had one year where they crossed that line and they went from, you know, we're going to, it's going to, we're going to cause some pressure on the quarterback and he's going to have to have his hands full to succeed this week to this guy is going to be like under a tsunami of pressure and there's almost no way of this offense functioning given the levels we're looking at. And you don't know how to, you don't know how to block it up. You don't know right. who to block. And, and it's just so once you reach that level, it's so difficult. But the, the problem with that is it's like this idea of you know assembling the 2017 Jags on defense. Like you can kind of put it all together and it functions for one year. It's just not sustainable. Like you can't. I don't think you can build that. And the Eagles have tried. Like they've took a swing at doing that. And as you said, they've had a good pass rush every year, but it's only really like come together in that irresistible, unstoppable force for one year. But but my point there was they were good that year because Patrick Robinson showed up and was awesome in the slot. I mean, they were excellent on the back end. They have had one of the best pass. They weren't – they may not be suffocating every year, but they've had one of the best pass rushes every single year. Mm -hmm. The difference in their success has always just been on the back end. And they've invested differently there. I think Nikel Roby Coleman – has, he's been, you know, because we always talk about the value of the slot corner, he's yep. been an underrated, really good slot corner. Darius Slay has been really good outside of last season with the Lions. Uh, this is a much better group of corners than what they trotted into the season with last year because it's a lot of the same guys. Um, but last year it was a whole bunch of, ah, they're young and they've played a couple good games here and there. Like, hope it all comes together. It didn't. Um, Jalen Mills not playing corner and moving to safety helps you lose Malcolm Jenkins he's been a pretty good you know movable chess piece but they added a whole bunch of movable pieces defensively because that's all they drafted Davion Taylor Kayvon Wallace like they drafted guys who are athletic and hybrids and again I just from a team building standpoint I think they're going to have a lot more speed athleticism and coverage ability in that back seven which I think uh, should help while the defensive line has they look like they could be top five again, right? With Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave coming in, Derek Barnett. They they have pieces again. Yeah, the, the defensive front is still – I mean, it's always been so good because they've run like seven deep in terms of guys who can get a ton of pressure. I think they still are. Derek Barnett, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Vinnie Curry is back. Malik Jackson is, is still there, brought in uh, from that insane Jacksonville defense. Josh Sweat, you know, Gennard Avery flashed in Cleveland. He's, he's still there. Another hybrid. Right. Like, they've got a ton of guys that can rush the passer and get pressure. So I think that should still be a big part of this defense. Uh, the secondary is really interesting. They've got a ton of players. As you say, they added all these hybrid guys, these matchup players on Will offense. Will Parks. Or on defense. Yeah, Will Parks, Devion Taylor, all those guys, these matchup issues. I think Slay is a prime candidate, despite the, uh, the training camp videos, to bounce back. Um, you know, in our world, he, he didn't have a good grade last season at all, but he's a great example of how dependent 
defensive backs are on the offense, right? On the, the quarterback and the receiver. In the, pa- in the pass rush, too. The Lions. Yeah. But this notion of, like, the perfect throw beats the perfect coverage right, every right. play, right? Like, he, if you watch the plays that he gave up, he's, like, draped all over the guy every single snap. And somehow, you know, Stephon Diggs is reaching an extra foot beyond him and catching the ball anyway, right? Like, that doesn't usually happen consistently for an extended period of time. If you're draped all over a guy every single snap, most of the time you're going to end up with some pretty good coverage numbers. The last year he didn't, so the grade wasn't good. Um, but I could easily see that immediately bouncing back this year and you get old Darius Lay again. Plus, he's not going to be asked to play they played a lot of pure man, man coverage yeah. 60% of the snaps either. So I think Slay could be a lot better. You know, anything that gets Jalen Mills the hell away from being the center of attention at cornerback is a good thing. Uh, but that second corner is is an interesting battle. Avante Maddox, you know, does Sidney Jones realize his potential? Is Razul Douglas still in the mix? Like, that's an interesting development, how that guy goes. And then Nicole Roby Coleman, or Nickel Roby Coleman is a huge, that's such a bargain. I don't understand how they even had the opportunity to Did bring me- that. Give me all of those productive – like it's like Mike Hilton with the Steelers. Just give me all of those productive slot corners. I'm telling you, like the Steelers uh, – Eagles fans are probably not looking back at 2017 and being like, man, Patrick Robinson was really the biggest key. But, like, he really was. He was one of the biggest differences on that team versus the teams on either side uh, for the Eagles, 2015, 16, and then 18 also, and 19. single most important – or not – single most interesting thing about this defense is it looks like they're legitimately going to start T.J. Edwards. Which is oh, I was fascinating, too. Because I, I, I mentioned they were going to be faster and more athletic, and yeah, then also T.J. Edwards. Right. Uh, a guy that's just been a really productive linebacker. Um, we still rank their linebackers in the bottom tier because they're, we haven't seen a whole lot of Edwards, but we gave them the number two defensive line, number 12 secondary. Again, anchored by Slay and somewhat expecting Slay to just you know bounce back and be the guy that he was 2014 through have you got your uh, your IQ thing fired up? Where does he rank in, like, percentile athlete? Because it's got to be, like, single digits. This guy is fascinating to me because— Oh, Edwards? Yeah. One of the, one of the sort of takeaways of PFF college grading has been certain positions it predicts NFL success better than others, but there's always this athletic component that you need to fold in, right? Yuck. Like, where is he? What do we got? <laughs> what do you want? Bring him out. 40. 40. 40-yard dash, 5th mm-hmm. percentile, 4.87. Three <laughs> cone. Um, hold on. Height and weight, by the way. They're not good either. 22nd percentile. Yeah. So we're talking a dude who's small. Yes. Doesn't weigh a lot. Isn't fast. 5th percentile, 40. Change of direction. 2nd percentile, 10-yard <laughs> split, 1.74. <laughs> For perspective, at 277 pounds, I did a 181. Wow. 10 yard. He was a 174. No, forget the 200, uh, whatever, like 270 whatever pounds and nine foot of length. Like you're the least, <laughs> well, no, you're the least designed yard, human for explosive. Because we worked on just like steps. You just got to do it in five big steps. Right. But I my point is, you're like the least well designed human in the world for like exploding, exploding over 10 yards. True. Like even, even um, Usain Bolt does all of his work from like 60 to 100. Like yeah. the first 10 is not where Usain Bolt wins because he's 6'5". 181 is my best, <laughs> I think. Okay, so Something like yeah. that. Anyway, um, second percentile, 10-yard split. 13th percentile, bench press. He had 16 reps. Uh-huh. Um, vertical and broad, 28th percentile. Vertical, 16th percentile, broad. What do we got? Three-cone. Give me a change of he direction. He was above average Ooh. in the three-cone and 20-yard shuttle. Okay. 57th and 58th percentile, right. respectively. So, so that's what T.J. Edwards 
brings to the table. Yes, overall. But anyway, so my point was one of the areas that's been most interesting in terms of the effect of athleticism has been a linebacker. We've got this sequence of linebackers that grade really well in college, but they're so bad of an athlete that it just it doesn't translate to the NFL. They just have no shot, right? And you're thinking guys like Paul Dawson, Scooby Wright. You know, these guys are incredibly product- productive college linebackers. Get to the NFL, and they just suck so much as an athlete. It's just they, it's not going to happen, right? TJ Edwards is in that bracket of crappy athlete. He is in the bracket of you should not be good, and yet seems to be, right? College grading was incredible every single year. And the other thing is most of those guys are much better against the run than they are in coverage. Edwards was really good in coverage in, in college. Preseason grades have been really good. Um, he only had 33 coverage snaps last year, so we don't really know. So this is what I'm saying, NFL right? Preseason wise. grades have been really good. Actually has some starting uh, – or not starting. Actually has some playing time at the NFL level in the regular season, albeit incredibly small sample size. But – that's been good. Even his NFL special teams grades are good. This guy has graded well at every level of football he has played, despite being a crappy athlete. And it looks like the Eagles are actually going to give him a shot to see if he can do that over a full season. You gave me an idea for a podcast. It would be, we should just simulate the preseason. We should just do like a fake preseason podcast where we just – create hype for brand like just make up stuff that happened like a whole show here's what happened in the four preseason games okay this guy broke out this guy's gonna be oh, you know just make stuff up yeah his, anyway edwards college stuff was awesome coverage grade coverage uh all over the place but even when he lined up in the slot run defense everything was well above and average. this guy by the way goes undrafted because of all these things we talked about like these this level of athlete does not succeed yeah. at the nfl level goes undrafted still catches on plays well in preseason, gets some playing time. Like, I am, I'm just fascinated that he's going to get a shot to see if he can do that over a legitimate sample size um, in, like in, in the regular season. And if he does, like if he plays well this season, that – I don't know if it changes some models, but that causes people to go back to the drawing board and reassess what they know about linebackers and athleticism and college to NFL so transition. Watch T.J. Edwards closely. Um, I'm intrigued by the Eagles. I think they're right there with Dallas in this division. Yeah, I love what they've done on the back end, and I think they've got all the pieces offensively. It's going to be them just not getting hurt as often as they did last year, right? I mean, it has to be. Yeah. I think Wentz will be all right. Wentz is a good quarterback. We called him a Tier 3 quarterback, too. I also think at the end of this, you could put him or Dak in Tier 2 if you just if you see – uh, another good year from either one of those guys. I don't think it's a knock to put them in Tier 3, but I think if you look at their production and their grades, it's pretty consistent that they move with what's around them uh, probably more than other guys. Yeah, I, I think these two teams were really close. Obviously, they were last yeah. year as well, but more things went right for Dallas in the offseason than went right for Philadelphia. I think so that's I think you just you give them the, the benefit of the doubt in terms of the head-to-head. Wrapping it up in the NFC East. It's the Washington football team. Yes, it is. WFT. I'm still, I kind of like the TBDs. That was growing on me. The Washington TBDs. Um, What, let me just start with this. Ranking-wise, we had the Washington football team. Bad. (laughs) Everywhere. (laughs) Except the defensive line. Okay. I mean, they're in, they're 26th or 24th or worst in every position group. This happens tier like, four quarterback. Uh, you know we haven't seen enough of right. Dwayne Haskins, and the number three defensive line. 
This happens, by the way, every now and again, where teams like end up with this collection of first round picks at a certain spot. Yeah. And usually it's because they've acquired a bunch of guys that are like second time around. Yes. You know, they didn't yeah. pan out somewhere else and we've brought them in and then, oh, look, they're all first round guys. And it's a funny story, right? Washington's, they've, they've done that, but they were all, the, Washington drafted them all. They've got now Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, Jonathan 17, Allen, 18, Chase 19, Young, and, 20. and Ryan Kerrigan. That's five guys that Washington drafted who were first-round picks. And in addition to that, you've got Ryan Anderson, right, still there, who's a second-round pick. You've got – and the ironic thing is that in all of this, like, Matt Ioannidis might be their most consistent defensive interior guy <laughs> the, who was the fifth-round fifth like, fifth grinder from Temple. Um that's I don't know that I've ever seen that happen before. If you draft defensive linemen for either that or you trade away your first round picks, chances are the rest of your roster will rank in the twenties. Yeah, because you put all your resources into defensive line. All that said, it's a nice defensive line with Chase Young coming in. It should be what you know, Ryan Kerrigan and Montez Sweat and Deron Payne, like all these dudes, like putting it together looks pretty good. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball, though. Um, I wanted to re- I wanted to rank their receivers thirty first or thirty second, <laughs> yeah. but your Terry McLaurin love yeah talked me out of it. It is Terry McLaurin and not a lot else, really, not a lot else. Yeah, guys that have fly like the the Simses Cam and Stephen Sims, like we've seen flashes at times. Trey Quinn has flashed a little bit here and there. Kelvin Harmon's hurt. Uh, Antonio Gandy Golden they draft in the fourth round. Dontrell Inman is the Madden Creator player. Love that. Like what do they have? Besides Terry McLaurin. For anyone that's been listening to the podcast for long enough, we used to have a producer called Taylor, and he was a big uh, San Diego Chargers fan back then. I can use that. You they were. They were the was. San Diego Chargers. I don't know if he's a Los Angeles Chargers fan anymore. Who knows? Because he's a San Diego fan. But he used to say that Dontrell Inman was like a Madden creator player before he'd had all the attributes put in. You know, where it just defaults to 60 across the board. That was Dontrell Inman. So when they signed him, I was like, this could not be more perfect. The generic default Washington football team signed the generic Madden creator player, Dontrell Inman. It's, it couldn't be better. Also that year, I think he went to the Colts and was like dead smack, average grade. Yeah, at one point when we used the old plus-minus system, he had like a 0.0 grade after 1,000 snaps yeah, worth it was of stuff. Perfect. Um, Good analysis, too. So McLaren, I think, is, is like genuinely special. So I, th- and my point with you in the rankings is, look, one elite special receiver makes them better than like dead last. It yeah. just does. I'm also kind of intrigued by Antoni- Antonio Gandy-Golden. Like, yeah, I, intrigued as well, but, you know, fourth no, round. No, I'm, like, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that he should drag that receiving group up any further. And right now he's not even like necessarily starting. But I think he's a guy that quickly – could become something interesting in that roster. One, he's um, one of those crazy like height, weight, size, speed, athletic freaks. Two, as will always be my starting point, um, graded really well at the Senior Bowl practices, Steve. This year, Denzel Mims was like number one we'd ever seen, right? Wait, wait, wait. We have breaking news. Uh-oh. What do you got? The Titans have activated Corey Davis. Huh. Okay. Um so he Denzel Mims is the best senior bowl week of practice receiver we've ever seen. But Gandy Golden was like number two this year. He was right up there in terms of dominating uh, guys all through that week. And three, so this is ridiculous, right? This, this is like there's no reason to base it on anything. But I'm always kind of intrigued by guys that have like a, something that at least I 
perceive as freaky mental ability to do something, right? Like, have you ever successfully solved a Rubik's Cube? I don't believe so. Neither have I, right? And when I see people do it, it's like witchcraft to me. I don't, I, my brain does not even understand what the hell those things are. No, I don't it's, think I it's absurd. And that guy is like one of those speed Rubik's Cube solving people. The guy's going like, to do it in 10 seconds. This is your bam. analysis? Yeah. And I don't know what is applicable about that to football. Can you read cover two on the fly, though, son? So I don't know what it is, right? But intuitively, I am so working on the basis say, that say. if you can solve a Rubik's Cube in 10 seconds, your brain functions on a level that should provide some use you to the football field. You think that would help field. reading coverages on the fly? Like, oh, it has to do something, they, they right? They started at two, rotated to three, if and now I'm running a curl. And Look, every one of us has talked to football players where you're like, that guy takes 10 seconds to figure out like, what his own name is, right? There's, there's a degree to which you are just too dumb to be a useful you know, plus level player, right? The the cogs in your brain they're turning, but they're going too slow to ever like propel no, you at a, a, a high it's speed. Re- football's a reaction. No, game. there's there's thought involved in it. It's just you need the thought to be fast enough for it to be useful. Then, so I'm working on the basis that if you can do that, like your wheels are, that thing is spinning. The RPMs in there are doing something useful. I'm just saying. In addition, I'm not saying that on its own. Would oh, be Andy's good, right? got some good but football. Ability. If he's a height, weight, speed free, speed free, plus a Rubik's cube, plus he can solve a Rubik's cube in ten seconds, he's got to be good, right? No. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also. We we talked about the Eagles tight end yeah. group. Ranking tight ends this year was painful. <laughs> Why are there none? Why is there such a dearth of these guys in the NFL? But they're not. There's just a lot of teams with multiple. Like the Bucs have Gronk, O.J. Howard, and Cameron Brait. So it's like – Right? And then the Redskins, Washington football team – I did it once. Shoot. The Washington football team, Jeremy Sprinkle, Richard Rodgers, Marcus Baugh, Logan Thomas. Right. Sprinkle graded in the 40s last year. So it's – the Patriots have nobody. The Panthers have nobody. The Bengals have nobody. And a lot of teams have multiple. It's like 50% of society's wealth is tied up in 5% of the, the rich people. It's tight ends this year. Right. That's tight ends in the <laughs> 50% NFL. 50% right? of all the tight ends in the NFL are, are tied Eagles, up by three teams. The Bucs. There's a, there's a Kittle and a Kelsey that are just in a yeah. different world. Mm-hmm. And then the Bucs have a bunch. The Eagles have a bunch. The Browns have some guys. Like, they're just all okay. congested. Fair enough. So, can, we, can we talk about the Alex Smith thing as well? Yeah. He's on the football team. He's been activated. It's, it's impressive. And already – that's like one of the most insane comebacks in NFL history. It is. Like, I know that you won't have, despite me telling you, but people should go and watch the Project 11 documentary that ESPN did. Um, Steve hasn't seen it, but you should go watch it. You don't know if I, I haven't. I, I will bet you right now $1,000 that you have not watched that, despite me telling you to go watch it. I haven't. Right. I have no time to go watch documentaries. Uh-huh. So, I, like, I knew that he had the bad injury, the bad leg break, and there were complications, and he got an infection, and blah, blah. And these are all just sort of things that wash over you in the general newscape of the NFL. But when you watch that video or watch the documentary and you see how bad it got, like at one point there was like a 24-hour stretch where two different flesh-eating bacteria infections had taken hold, right? And they were like chasing this infection through his body. There's no like, hey – if you're eating, don't watch this. Like, it's already in your brain at this point. But they were, like, chasing these two infections for, like, a 24-hour period. They were genuinely thinking that they were going to have to amputate his leg. At one point, his wife asked his doctor, they were like, if it was your leg, what would you do? And she said, amputate it. Like, if it was mine, cut it off. It's done. 
So by the time they finally got this thing under control, they, when you get rid of these flesh-eating bacteria, you have to, like, debrief the area and basically just chop out the dead flesh. When they had got that finished, they were, like, shin to knee, down to the bone of that entire leg, cut off, right? The leg wasn't a leg anymore. It was, like, you know, it was barely functional. So he had to have these grafts of muscle. He had to – and getting back to the point where – you were able to like have a normal life, you know, walk around, run, play with your kids. That would be an amazing comeback to go up beyond that. And to get cleared for professional football at the highest level is insane. If he plays a snap this season, don't even think about giving comeback player of the year to anybody else. Oh yeah. I it's mean- absolutely absurd that that guy has gone from that position to legitimately, they are clearing him to have a no restrictions, full contact, you know, training camp. He's good I, to go. I can't believe that's even was his goal. Like that he actually like, right. after all that, you're just like, all right, I've made a lot of money, had a nice career, and all that stuff. Like just and everybody it up, around and he still him wants was, to play. Yeah, everyone around him was talking about like, hey, we're just going to get you know walking. Right, that was right. their goal, and he's like, no, 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 I'm coming back to the NFL. Crazy, crazy scenario. Alex Smith, I and mean, he has been a very good, he's been a good NFL quarterback, a very distinct, on the conservative end, NFL quarterback. I right. don't and know I, if Washington wants to, do they want him to be the starter in the future? I mean, I mean because not, they unless. have to know, they, they have to figure out what they got in Dwayne right. Haskins. The but, only way you're going to want him starting is if Dwayne Haskins is a disaster and you right. have to go back. So I don't think so. But it's the other thing, I have to get this off my chest. I didn't want to tweet it because it's like taking a shot at the guy, but, you know. Nobody listens to this. We're good. It's just between you and me. Uh, Brian Baldinger tweeted something like, um, or it was on TV. He said, Alex Smith has made every single football team he's been on better. As a rookie, Alex Smith threw one touchdown, 11 interceptions, and had a passer rating in the 40s, right? This comeback is one of the greatest stories in NFL history, but we don't need to like dress it up with bullshit. He was not made every team he's been on better. As a rookie, he made the 49ers worse. I appreciate your growth. I, others around the company should be watching you as a, you know, yeah. as a beacon of light. I actually had how to the tweet. handle social media. I had the tweet like half composed and had to like click the X and, and get rid of it. We have separate chats for that where if you're going to be snarky <laughs> and um, just a jerk Hmm. in general. We're trying to be better at that as a company, and I appreciate you um, saving it for the podcast instead. Uh, Baldy. Yeah, so the story speaks for itself. Don't add untruths to it. He he hasn't. He's been a pretty good quarterback. That's it. He's made most teams he's been on better, but certainly not not everyone. Not that one. You got him. One touchdown, 11 interceptions. You got Baldy. You got him. Anyway. Yeah. The rest of this Washington football team here. Yeah. The receivers, other than McLaurin, poor. Yes. The tight ends, among the worst in the league. Yes. The offensive line, they traded Trent Williams. He wasn't there last year anyway. But we've got either Cornelius Lucas, who I love as a six foot nine swing tackle. Hmm. Tra- you know, I like the 6'9", six t- six 6'10", six guys. Guys yeah. that I'm taller than, but they're close to me. You're taller than a 6'9 guy? Definitely. Hmm. Cornelius Lucas is a good swing tackle, but he probably shouldn't be the starting left tackle. Sadiq Charles, their fourth-round pick, probably shouldn't be the starting left tackle. Jerron Christian, their third-round pick from 2018. So they have some questions at left tackle. Morgan Moses took a step back at right tackle. Brandon Scherf is good at guard. That's pretty much it. They have a whole bunch of guys that I kind of liked coming out of college, though. Chase (laughs) Rollier and 
Wes, uh, Wes Schweitzer. I mean, th- those, I liked those guys coming out of college. They haven't played great in the NFL level, so it's not a good offensive line. I mean, certainly the left side appears to be a problem, like on paper. Yeah. Um, I mean, so the most interesting thing, obviously, with these teams is the, the young quarterback, right? Dwayne Haskins. Haskins, I think, gets a bad rap, right? He didn't play as much as some of these other rookie quarterbacks, and I don't know if that is part of it. And when he did play, it was ugly. But he, I think people are writing off Haskins versus Daniel Jones or Kyler Murray or even Gardner Minshew and saying he's not at that caliber. I don't know that we've seen anything to say that's true. Their overall PFF grades, the entire group was almost in the same area, right? They were all mid-60s. It was the construction of the grade. Right, sure. The construction of the grade and the supporting cast around each one of them is different and all this sort of stuff. So I'm not saying that that's the be-all and end-all, right? But one point is – the overall grade was in the same ballpark as these other guys. Two, um, the fact that he didn't get on the field so soon, right, I don't think is this idea that he was inherently, like, bad at picking up an NFL offense. That was Jay Gruden's offense, which is notoriously difficult for quarterbacks to pick up. Alex Smith, who learned, like, a different offense every six weeks of his career for, like, nine straight seasons, took a while to pick up Jay Gruden's offense. Like, that offense – is not a quarterback-friendly offense to learn, um, particularly for a rookie who, you know, is coming out already behind the eight ball as a quarterback that didn't have, you know, a massive load of starting experience in college. So this guy is new to the position, new to, the, to learning all this kind of stuff anyway, and is thrown into one of the most complicated offense in the NFL to learn. So the idea that he took a while to get it, I don't think is should be held against him. And then when he finally did get Uh, on the field his first couple of performances were horrendous right but he very quickly started to play a lot better like the back end of this performance was way better than the front end so I don't like I'm not saying that it's a guarantee that he's going to be way better next year but in the worlds of the Daniel Joneses why are we skewing so positive on Daniel Jones and so negative on Dwayne Haskins was is my question um, it's it's the way things were constructed. So I would say, so Haskins had I think it was the worst. He had the second highest percentage of negatively graded plays. Um, Dwayne Haskins. He had a low percentage of positively graded plays. However, on those negatives, they were mostly just misses. They were mm-hmm. he did not have a high percentage of turnover worthy plays. Correct. And despite In I think fact, it was five, had a very low rate of very low plays. Um, but. He had you know one to one touchdown to interception ratio. Ratio the actual interceptions that he threw really weren't on him. It was it was this Alex Smithian conservative type of look. However, he did miss a high percentage percentage of throws. Of the things that are most stable, it's the negatives. Okay, and I would say that we skewed differently because the positives were low too. Daniel Jones had more noticeable positives that offset the negatives. And that's where a lot of the perception comes from. But Dwayne Haskins' big-time throw rate was as high, if not higher, than a the A lot of those fell incomplete. He had, the, he had the Panthers game where his three best throws all fell incomplete. Right. Well, so for most of the season, it was like Terry McLaurin making all their quarterbacks look good, right? Then suddenly Dwayne Haskins shows up and starts playing like a stud. <laughs> like Terry McLaurin drops this, like, 40-yard bomb right into his hands. Like, I, yeah, yeah, my point – Overall with this, though, is that you're actually backing up, is that he was better than, the re- than people are giving him credit for, right? He was better than his statistics show. I think he's shown enough to be in that category with the Daniel Joneses and the Kyla Murrays and the Minshews where there's more positive than negative to look oh, at. And there's, there's still plenty to see. My, my issue with Haskins coming out 
I compared him to my boy Sam Bradford, who when you give him a beautiful, clean pocket, will make beautiful NFL throws. He'll throw the, one of the best-looking dig routes in the NFL. He'll throw the skinny post. He'll do all these things, right? He'll do all these NFL-type things. But much like Sam Bradford, isn't going to create a whole lot outside structure, isn't going to create outside the pocket, and doesn't necessarily have this natural feel for playmaking. Now, all that said, Haskins had a couple nice plays like that last year. But I think overall, he needs a really nice situation. So while we talked about Drew Locke, second-year quarterback, who's in a nice situation to figure out what he is with speed all over the place in Denver, I don't think in Washington we're going to – how much are we going to learn from Haskins behind a poor offensive line and only Terry Terry McLaurin to throw to? They need incredible development from the rest of their receiving core, the offensive line, one of these tight ends to step up. And then coming out of this year, you might say, hey, we've got a better feel for what Haskins is. He – so the thing that jumps out when you watch his tape um, is – it's easy to get carried away with it, but his arm talent is like legit. You know, people, I think a lot of people loved that about Kyle Murray, but I think Haskins is right there. Like, there are some plays where I, I think he you see the elbow fires it in. I think you see the elbow emotion, which just looks better. I don't know. For Murray? For Haskins. For Haskins. I don't know if his actual. Oh, dude, it is. No, no, no. You velocity watch, is great. You watch some of the plays from last year. Like, his thing, his problem is he's got a bit of the. Um, that issue where he doesn't want to let it go until he sees it, you know, as yeah. opposed to the guys that feel like see it coming and throw it before it's actually open. And Ohio State's he, offense helped. Right. He wants to see it open that. before he throws it. But he's got the arm to get it there once he does. Like, there's a bunch of plays last season where when he sees it and lets rip, like, he is firing in a bullet that a lot – like, some of these other guys don't have the capacity to do that. So I'm excited about his arm talent. I think – what we saw from him last year, given that situation, was actually pretty encouraging. I agree that this year there's a lot of things working against him that aren't working against some of these other guys, so it's a concern. But, I, I mean, I'm kind of encouraged by Haskins. Well, well, we'll learn a little bit more, but I don't know if it'll be enough with Haskins this year. Uh, defensively, we talked about the D-line carrying them. Chase Young, he's awesome. He's a friend of the show. Um, between Chase Young, Montez Sweat still had some developing to do. It's much better if he's got the complementary pieces. Ryan Kerrigan is still going strong, huh? Ryan Kerrigan still and Adrian Peterson. And Adrian Peterson is the running back. Um, by the way, offensively, we've got to mention Antonio Gibson, too, running back slash wide receiver. I mean, if we're talking about a weapon to maybe step up, he could be. What do you think this backfield looks like? Not that we care about running backs. But Adrian Peterson. Because like, early downs. Surely he's not going to go like all season be the bell cap. I like Bryce Love. I, th- I feel like Bryce Love could be that guy in a random year. Has like 100 carries at like well, 7 yards a pop. Yeah. Just like breaks so, a couple big plays. Bryce Love feels like the kind of back that could have – that could be – we talked about Philip Lindsay breaking the system a little bit like – not breaking the system, breaking the numbers yeah, a little bit like Jamal Charles does. Bryce Love has the kind of speed to do that, right? Yeah. That where you hit a gap so fast that you don't get contacted and suddenly your yards before contact goes through the roof and it looks like it's the offensive line doing a great job, but actually your running back is just fast as hell. I can see Bryce Love doing that. Um, that'll be really intriguing because he's another one of those guys that had that one year in college that was crazy good and then got hurt yeah. and you know disappeared off the radar essentially. Um, so I think moving to the defense – uh, Jack Del Rio is the defense coordinator. He doesn't really have a distinct style defensively. It's kind of like classic old school 4-3. They mix up coverages. 
Um, I don't think his defenses have ever been great. They've been good at – like in Jacksonville, they were really good at stopping the run when he was the head coach there. And then in Denver, they were good at getting torched against good, def- good offenses. <laughs> and then Wade Phillips took over and they got better. I mean, so there's nothing like here's what he's going to bring to this defense. Um, and it's going to be tough with Young. And, like how are you going to get all these guys on the field at the same time? Um, you know, Kerrigan's an edge rusher, right? Yeah. Chase Young's an edge rusher. Montez Sweat. Uh, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and uh, Matt Ioannidis on the inside. I mean, they've got six legitimate defensive linemen that they have to rotate in, which is great. But the linebacking core has question marks in the secondary. Fabian Moreau, Kendall Fuller, Jimmy Moreland, the, star, the projected starting front three, uh, the starting three with Ronald Darby in the mix. I love taking shots on Darby every single year while he's, you know, trying to get back to form. But, man, there's a lot of questions on the back end, I think, for – for the yeah. Washington football team. The Darby signing could be huge um, because he has the potential at least to be a high-end starting cornerback. And, you know, injuries have derailed him and that kind of stuff. And, again, I think he's another guy that the uh, um, scheme didn't necessarily help him out for a while. So as a, as a let's take a shot on this, that's absolutely a, a great idea. They get Kendall Fuller back from his time in Kansas City. There's a lot of guys that have at least played well before. Yeah, and even Kendall Fuller's another interesting one because his best play has come from the slot, and they're probably going to need him to play outside just because they don't have better options. Um, Like Aaron Colvin was a disaster the last time he had to play. I'm still intrigued by Greg Stroman, who will hang around in this roster. I think he has starting ability. Um, But, yeah, generally on paper, either some people need to, like, turn it around, or this is going to be a weakness? Uh, I think if they do play more too high looks, you got Landon Collins back there. That's kind of where he's shown well. Too high, but like working downhill, quarters right. type stuff. I mean, they, again, they've got a bunch of guys that have played well previously. We liked Jimmy Moreland coming out, playing the slot. I mean, there's, there's just too many question marks there. I think there's a pretty distinct difference between the top two teams in the East and the bottom two teams in the East. Yeah. Um, the Giants could surprise. I I have less faith in Washington. Yeah. And maybe it's the stylistic. Look, even when Haskins was at Ohio State with all those playmakers, he put up good stats. He didn't have a high percentage of PFF positively graded throws. I don't know that Haskins is a huge value-add type of quarterback. Like, he's going to go carry a team. Like, Daniel Jones could go carry a team for short spurts because of his aggressiveness throwing the ball. So when you give him that supporting cast – they could, you know, good things can happen. I think with Haskins, it's more, okay, he can avoid mistakes. And when you're just avoiding mistakes and you don't have guys to throw to, I don't think you have exciting offense. So if either team is going to make a move, I feel better about the Giants. I, I don't know. I think Haskins, so he's weird. I, he's going to, I don't know. I'm trying to comp him to a quarterback that fits this kind of mold. Sam Bradford. New. And I can't come up with a good one. A guy that's sort of, he he has a lot of negatives and doesn't have that many positives, but they're all the sort of it's the the narrow range ones that he misses out on, right? So it's a lot of minor negatives that miss. Doesn't actually put the ball in harm's way that much, and then the positives that he has, there aren't overall there aren't that many of them, but the ones that he has are actually big. So he he skews big time throw heavy, but doesn't skew positive rate heavy. He's not picking up as many point fives, right? So when you look last year, his big time throw rate, I think, was better than every other rookie quarterback, albeit on a smaller sample size. His average depth of target was higher than any other rookie quarterback, and by like half a yard to most of them. Um, So 
I think he's aggressive enough to be good. It's a question of whether his propensity to miss throws is going to be enough to, like, cap him. Again, but, that's my most concerning number is the high percentage of negatives. Right. Which generally stays pretty consistent. Sure. But even then, like, I think, there, I think that's workable if you're not going to put the ball in harm's way as much. Because that's, that's kind of what Carson Wentz is, right? It's like your, your down-to-down accuracy is never going to be great. But if you make enough big-end plays and don't make, it, make really bad plays, we can work with it. Yeah. Cam Newton thing as well, right? It's like you're never going to be the most efficient quarterback in the world. But if we can offset that with some other stuff, we're okay. I think there's a way for Haskins to do that. It's like you're never going to be Drew Brees on a down-to-down basis. But if we can get some of this other stuff consistently working, we're, we're good. All right, so who you got last in the division? Uh, Giants or Washington? Probably Washington. All right, I'll also take Washington last. Picking in the top ten and perhaps looking at one of those quarterbacks, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that's the reality here. I don't hate Haskins. It sounds uh, like you hate Haskins. But I think they might be in the Trevor Lawrence-Justin Fields discussion next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. That's it, Sam. We're I, done. Anyone that ends up picking number one overall – they should be in the discussion. Well, they should yeah. be in the discussion, and their quarterback probably didn't play well enough for them not to be. I think Washington's roster might have them. I think, put it this way, right? Again. If Washington have a shot at Lawrence, or Lawrence and Fields, they pro- like Haskins probably didn't play well enough to prevent them being in the discussion. And Chase Young, as great as he is, did not turn the franchise around. And won't. But, my, but if Haskins played well enough that – if play, Haskins played well enough to keep them away – from a Lawrence or a Fields, they're probably not in their discussion for them anyway in terms of finishing position. All right. That'll do it. NFC East is in the books. Don't forget, pff.com. We've got our new college football product, CFB25. You get 25% off. This is a brand-new college football product, never before released in history. Nobody's ever done this, Sam. Hmm. Um, And then the preseason NFL draft guide for 2021, all part of your PFF Edge or Elite package. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Thursday with another Division Preview.